episode 227 of Mitch Unfiltered. Another vacation for Hotshot Scott. Living the good life. So we've gone down to the bullpen and we've pulled the right-hander out. He's the star of shooting the shit with Slick and Mitch. He's Matthew Slickhawk Miklas. Slicky? Mitchie. <laughs> uh, you don't want me in the bullpen. Um, I would be a soft throwing right-hander. Yes, you would. About, I would I would imagine about 45. Maybe I could touch 50. Yes, that's true. If I put all my whole, the whole slickness behind it. How did you enjoy Stump the Band every Friday when we did Loved that on it. the old radio? Did you Loved like it. it? Did you like doing Stump the Band? Are Was you that kidding? one of the segments that you liked on our old radio show together? I loved not? it because A, I'm a, I love trivia. Yes. I'm a trivia fan fan yes and b it was an hour i didn't have to plan <laughs> so uh, i love stump the band did you like stump the band more or less than change the subject which we also did in the nine o'clock hour on certain yes. days i like i like stump the band better um i like because i got to play you know you get to play and you, yeah yeah, yeah. You know. would you like to begin with stump the band on this episode yeah. 27 yes not only will you be allowed to play you'll be the only player I'll I'm ask, it. I'll, okay. I'll ask the question. You give me the answer. All right. NFL trivia. Slick NFL Hawk. trivia. NFL trivia, Slickhawk. What do the following NFL teams have in common as of the day that we're recording episode 227? I'm going to list six teams, Ooh. and you're going to tell me what they have in common. Okay. Okay. The Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. The Chicago Bears. Yes. The Tennessee Titans. Okay. The Indianapolis Colts. Okay. The Arizona Cardinals. Okay. And the Houston Texans. Six NFL teams as of the day that we're recording this. And I'll give you a hint. Las yeah. Vegas, Nevada. Think Las Vegas, Nevada. Those six teams have something in common. What is it? I was going to say until you said Arizona. They're projected to, to take a quarterback in the draft. Ooh. But, but I, I think Arizona kind of kind of throws a monkey wrench into that. So okay. I will say yes. they're the six teams with the longest odds to win the Super Bowl. Very, very good. I won't give you a complete bell, oh. even though you're right. Okay. You are absolutely right. They are the six teams with the longest odds to win the Super Bowl. I guess that'd be the 2024 Super Bowl 58. But they also have something else in common, which is they are the only six teams with longer odds than your <laughs> Seattle Seahawks. Did you know that if you want to go right now and put a hundred bucks on the Seattle Seahawks to win the Super Bowl, you will get plus 7,000 odds. $100 will win you seven grand if you want to take the Seahawks to win the 2024 Super Bowl. There you go. Now, this is this is without knowing who the quarterback will be. Right. Technically, we don't know that, I right. guess. That's right. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen. Up in the air. This is with, this is with a, a head coach who, you know, love him or not, want him to stay or not. Um, it's a coach who's a proven winner, who's proven he can get to the playoffs. 
7,000? Plus 7,000 only okay. teams have higher odds Okay, Seattle Seahawks. I could maybe not 100 bucks, maybe like 20 bucks. Mm. I'll take a fifth of it. That's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I could, I could, I might, I could hang with you fellas for a while. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite line. Uh, by the way, are you ready to make podcast magic? You can't be... The same slick from shooting the shit with Slick and Mitch. That's for the patrons. We've let you out of the corner, out yeah. of the room, and okay. now this is the big time. Right. No. So I have to swear less or what is it? No, I- swear more. <laughs> no bullshit. You got to come with your A game. Okay. Otherwise, I'm going to get. Correct. Otherwise, people are going to just kill me for making you the. The, the host of two, uh, episode 220. Well, I've been wanting to, I've been, I've been waiting for this opportunity for a while because, right. you know, you and Hotshot, you know, every week, you know, with the number and you yeah. go and yeah. what's the area code and yeah. everything. And I'm always, <laughs> I'm always ready to throw it out. I know what area code that is because I got it for the schnoz. <laughs> and then you come at me this week and it's, it's what, what is this? 227. 220? Yeah. It's nothing. No. It's nothing. No. But I think, so, I think I'm disappointed. You, I think you owe me money though. I owe you money. Didn't we bet on shooting the shit with Slick and Mitch in our last episode for patrons this past week? Do we make a sizable wager? Do we make like a $10,000 wager? You and I, you and I did, (laughs) you know, somehow that's escaped my mind. Although I wouldn't put it past myself. Didn't we bet? Didn't you tell me I've lost a lot of bets to you over the years. Didn't you tell me that Tiger Woods was not going to make the cut? (laughs) And didn't I tell you that Tiger Uh, Woods was going to make the cut in the Los Angeles PGA Tour event. And as he wrapped up his round on Friday, I was even more convinced <laughs> that he wasn't going to make the cut. And I'll be perfectly honest. Yes. As I was looking at the leaderboard on Saturday, I still had thought that he had not made the cut. Oh, and he okay. was like wrapping up his, his his round three. So I don't know what happened. The cut line moved, I guess. It did. It moved one shot enough to get him <laughs> in on the number. By the way, that Saturday round. 67 from Tiger Woods. Yeah. A bit of the old. Oh, it was a beautiful thing. It was a great week. It was a great week for fans of Tiger Woods. Uh, You got to see a lot of really great golf shots. It wasn't consistent. It wasn't, you know, but it was there were some shots there that you're like, that's Tiger Woods. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. And then everything. So by Sunday, you know, I think fatigue got to him. Obviously, he wasn't quite getting the distance that he was he was getting maybe earlier in the week. But just to see him out there walking around, not not much of a you know noticeable limp and just out there. He was obviously he was having a good time. <laughs> I think we can agree on that. Let's put <laughs> let's put Tiger Woods and his good time on the show. OK, we'll bring it back for segment one because we're just warming up. This All is right. A, this is the, the tease. tease segment and yes. i have to tell everybody gotta tell everybody that mitch unfiltered is available on all podcast platforms subscribe and rate us please on apple bonus shows every week the mariners no table is coming become a mitch unfiltered patron five dollars a month go to MitchUnfiltered.com and become a patron if the five dollars as i like to say each and every week is a problem and you'd like to have access to our weekday shows all you got to do is write me at mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and just tell me, hey, I can't do the $5 a month. The point is not to price everybody out of the market. If you really want the bonus shows that we do each week, like shooting the shit with Slick and Mitch, just write me if the $5 is a problem. Also, 
you can write me your thoughts and your criticisms. Now, did you hear episode 226 and the email I that I read to Hotshot Scott? Did you hear it? I did. Okay. I, I laughed for about 10 minutes. I'm not going to lie. I heard that email. Do I need- I was, cra- I was do cracking I, up a little do bit. I, well, I've gotten emails now responding to that email and the, okay. the subsequent conversation that we had. <laughs> Hot shot of myself. My question to you is, do you want me to read? Do you think as an old producer, you should have a, an opinion on this? Should I read the original email again? You have to. Or do I just go to the response? Well, I don't know. See, email. this is podcast parlance versus radio. <laughs> radio parlance would say, yes, yes you, you would reset. You got to reset, Got to reset. You got to reset. Got to reset. But what about podcasts? <laughs> I don't know. This, this is your world now. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you should do it. All right. The original email, as was read on episode 226, was, Hey, Mitch, the show gets better and better. Love the banner with you and Scott, and the interviews are always entertaining. Even when I think to myself, I'm not going to be interested in that guy. All these guys that have come on your show over the years, both radio and podcast, seem to really like you and even admire you, despite all the rumblings that you're not a nice person. Lock and Fora, Crosby, Peter King, even Tracy Taylor, please take her to lunch. I wonder, I wonder if other listeners that have never met you like me also find you to be an enigma. In case you didn't cover that at Syracuse, a person or thing that is mysterious, <laughs> puzzling, or difficult to understand. We hear all these stories about how mean you can be, and yet every so often you let your guard down on air and really are a compassionate, caring personality that comes out. Is that an act? What's the truth? I always think that someday I will run into you at a sports event or a restaurant, and I might find out for myself. Then again, I would rather never know then be disappointed with the answer. Roger, who doesn't want his last name to be made, to right. be made public in federal way. That's the original email that provoked the conversation with Hotshot Scott. <laughs> now, do you want you me know to what? Stop? It was just it was just as good hearing it the second time. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you want me? Uh, do you want me to stop there and and have you? Throw in your two cents, or would you like I me could, to get? I can. You want me to get right to the responses? Well, I do want to hear what people had to say about well, that. I I, a, I'm sure there, there were was, there was an opinion or two. Oh, there were many more than an opinion. I only have two. <laughs> two of my favorites I brought, but I have uh, plenty. If you'd like to reach into my email inbox, yeah, 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 I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So, okay, you want to hear the responses? Yeah, I'll hear the okay. response and I'll Carl, give my response. Carl says, maybe not mean pompous asshole who tries very hard to pretend to be a regular guy, country club guy who tries to convince he could just as easily play the local muni and fit right in. I remember how you hated to have to attend your own bigger dance parties and have to hang out with your listeners. I've enjoyed your work since the midday show. So do you brother just do you. Oh yeah. You do you. And then the other one was Mitch. Heard the email you read on Monday's show. Feel the need to weigh in. Mean? No. Troubled? Yes. Been pretty clear to those of us who have listened to you for many years. Your fall from grace a few years ago didn't totally surprise me. Your behavior on the air is both entertaining and concerning. I hope you're getting the help you need and deserve. Phil, P.S., 
It was obvious that Scott was not being completely honest with his reaction to your email. I bet his answer would have been different if you were not in the room. Man, these just <laughs> cut to the quick, don't they? Wow. So those are two of the many that yes. I received. Now, yeah. would you like to weigh in on the yeah. on the email? And question two is, would you like me to leave the room <laughs> so that you can give a, a true, honest representation of somebody who's known me for all these years you can without, stay feel, there. without feeling the heat? <laughs> Through the Zoom, I don't want you to feel heat to 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 no, change no. your. I'll look you right. You can stay right there. I'll look you right <laughs> in the eye. Uh, no, and for for people who don't <sighs> look, you're on the radio every day for all these years, and so you develop a relationship with your listeners. That's that's part of the whole thing, and so I, I think that they feel like they know you, and it's really easy to feel like you know a person <clears throat> through that kind of relationship. Yeah, you don't. And, and that's just the truth of it. You know, a certain aspect, you know, a certain sect, a certain, you know, side to a person, but you don't really fully know a person just from those kind of interactions, listening one side, you're not even having a conversation with the person. So that's, that's the first thing I'll say. And the second thing I'll say is just, I mean, the, the, the tone of the email and the words of the email calling you mean and mean spirited as somebody who worked with you for several years. And I consider you a friend. That's just not, that's not a feeling I ever got um, when it when it came to you. Uh, I never got mean or mean spirited. You, you like sure to have fun. You sure you don't want me to leave the room now? <laughs> I'm sure. No, you like to have fun. Um, and sometimes, I don't know, sometimes maybe in spite of yourself, um, I don't know, maybe things have gone too far with some people. Feinstein. Um, <laughs> oh, we're back to Feinstein. You know, uh, I, it, it, you're like you're ever going to get away from that, right? I mean, come on. Come on. Come on. Well, you, you, weren't, but, around, uh, you weren't around for the Feinstein problem. No, but I've heard about it plenty. Um, I think you always want everybody to be in on the joke, and sometimes some people feel like they're not. Um, and. Oh. You know, and I think you've learned a lot from that, too, though. I've seen I've seen how those things affect you. If you say something or you've said something to somebody and they they took it in a way you didn't mean or they felt personally like it was mean spirited. I know you take that to heart and I know that affects you and that's not how you want people to perceive you. So that's that's the Mitch Levy. I know. Okay. I'm going to leave the room now and you can give okay. the <laughs> All right. Now he's gone. This son of a bitch. Let me tell you every story. Okay. <laughs> Episode 227. Let me tell you about the guests. Not only do we have Slick from shooting the shit with Mitch and Slick or Slick and Mitch for the patrons each and every Friday morning. Not only do we have Slick Hawk, but we have three guests. I believe that these three guests, if you give them the time, now you got to have a lot of time to listen to this podcast. I know this podcast happens to run long. It's only one a week. So yes, it's it's sometimes more than two hours. I think all the time, more than two hours. Guest number one is a guy named Paul Stako from South Philadelphia. My first trivia question to you is, I guess it's my second trivia question. Yeah, I nailed Who, the first one. Who's the most famous Paulie from South Philadelphia that you've ever known? The most famous Polly. Well, yeah, I got to say Polly from Rocky. Yeah, <laughs> the most famous Polly from South <laughs> yeah, Philadelphia. It's the most famous Polly. So yeah. I've got the second most famous Polly <laughs> from Philadelphia on the uh, episode 27. Let me tell you who Paul Stako is. Paul Stako is the owner for the last 40 years 
of a place in South Philadelphia called Big Charlie's Saloon in South Philly. It's about three blocks from where the Philadelphia Eagles play their home football games. Okay. And what it's most known for, not only in Philadelphia and around the country, it is a rabid Kansas City Chiefs establishment for the last 40 years. Paulie and every Chiefs <laughs> fan in Philadelphia and in the East congregate every Sunday. They get together at, at Big Charlie's Saloon and they root on their Kansas City Chiefs. So how do you think it went down? Oh, boy. How do you think it went down uh, a week or so ago at the Super Bowl when the Philadelphia Eagles took on the Kansas City Chiefs. Did they have to still grease the light poles just for those <laughs> patrons right there? Did they have to They had to close about those guys? Yeah. They had to close they closed for the Super Bowl. Oh wow. They had to close for the Super Bowl. <laughs> He's got great stories to tell. He's going to tell you what the week was like, what the days since the Super Bowl was like, how much grief he's getting from the, the Philadelphia crowd. He is born and bred Philadelphia, but everybody that goes to that establishment loves mm -hmm. them, the Kansas City Chiefs. So much so that a few of them, the manager of the bar, some of the employees, they went to Kansas City for the parade. So much so, wow. Dick Vermeil used to come when he was a Kansas City Chief. Really? So much so that Steve Spagnola, the defensive coordinator of the Chiefs, on his off week and the bye week this year, flew to Philadelphia and was at Big Charlie's Saloon. This is how huge Chiefs yeah. establishment, all right? Story time with Paul Staco. Guest number two is a woman by the name of Lori Styron. She's the executive director of a of a group called Charity Watch in Chicago. It's the only independent charity watchdog in the United States. And it's time for me to get a true explanation of this expose of Russell Wilson's Why Not You Foundation. So I've got 15 or 20 minutes for those of you like me who've been kind of reluctant to take a side in all of this and feel like, uh, is it possible that this is a witch hunt and we're just taking shots at Russell Wilson at every turn, at every angle, and he's like the human pinata right now? Or is there some legitimacy to the report about all of the behavior at the Why Not You Foundation? So I was unwilling to kind of arrive at, a, at an unfiltered opinion on this show until I spoke to somebody who can kind of educate me on the process and look into the numbers that have been quoted. And she does all that and then some. And there wow. is no way that you won't arrive at the same conclusion as everybody else after you listen to the 20 minutes with Lori Styron, the executive director of Charity Watch in Chicago. I'm real looking forward to that, actually. Okay. And then our guy, former NFL GM Randy Mueller, the current GM of the Seattle Sea Dragons <laughs> of the XFL. <laughs> uh, Randy Mueller, who's with us each and every week, again for patrons, part of the bonus shows. We decided to make his final visit of the season. This is his final, his final regular appearance of the year. We decided to pick it up off of the patron show and put it onto the big Monday show. So we'll have Randy Mueller, just another one of those patron stars. We'll let him out of the corner like we let you out of the corner <laughs> and put him on the big show. We'll talk about the Seattle Seahawks offseason with Randy Mueller. Okay. All right. And we'll officially begin episode 227 after a few words from our partners, like the Woodenville office of cross country mortgage. When the nationally acclaimed cross country wanted a new office in the Northwest, 
They not only snatched Jordan Flowers, but his entire team. And there's a reason. If you're buying a home, a second home, an investment place, Jordan's team has creative packages to save you money. His personal phone number, 425-890-2957. Exciting news from Daniels Broiler. One of the most popular nights of the year returns on March 4th, the 12th annual Bourbon Bash. One of the largest collections of bourbon and rye whiskey on the West Coast. Local distillers, brand representatives will be there. Heavy appetizers will be served. It begins at 5 p.m. Reservations are going fast. Go to danielsbroiler.com. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, expansion continues in 2023. How about the local remodel in Redmond on Cleveland Street, an ownership change, a truly spectacular remodel. We were there a couple of weeks ago. It is pristine in Redmond. John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor for virtually every fun contest and promotion that we run, beat the boys during the NFL season. And before you know it, the Masters Pool will be here as well. Start and end your search for a brand new fireplace at Fireside Home Solutions. Com. I'm very excited for episode 227 with my old friend Slickhawk, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. Rank them in order, most likely to least likely of those four guys yeah. to win the Cy Young. I would say Luis Castillo, most likely. George Kirby, second most likely. Yeah. Logan Gilbert, third most likely. And Robert, Robbie Ray, last. And I, yet I he's, think I'm right there with you. And he's number one of the list. Unfiltered. When you saw the connection made, the contact made as yep. a viewer, okay, yep. that's going to be a hit. Or yeah. that's not going to be a hit. Nowadays, the guy smokes when you're like, oh, that's in the right field for a hit. And there's a guy standing at the second baseman's <laughs> out in right field making the play and throwing the guy out at first base. I hate the shit. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 227 is now officially underway. Warm-up is over. We're with Slickhawk, who's in for hot shot Scott on this episode 227. I am. I'm here. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. When you texted me and asked me to come on here today with you, yeah. the last thing I would be doing uh, as I talk to you here on, on the big show would be comparing DK Metcalf <laughs> to Mac McClung. <laughs> And yet, here we are. Oh, <laughs> because those were the two best dunkers of the weekend. <laughs> the NBA All-Star game. I mean, that was it. Are we to see our, first of all, to see our guy DK out there doing his thing. That was yeah. awesome. And then to see this hobbit. And I use that, ter that term dearingly. But to see this hobbit go out there and oh, just God. school everybody in the slam dunk contest, um, I wasn't prepared for either of those things. Are you buying? I have questions. Are you buying that the <laughs> hobbit is 6'2? They're saying that the hobbit is 6'2. Well, six two. Does he look? Is Russell Wilson you? really five ten and five eight? Yeah, I like, yeah. Is Drew Brees really <laughs> six foot? You know, they they fudge these things, right? And do you want to talk more about DK Metcalf? 
in the celebrity game of the All-Star Weekend or DK Metcalf and that video that was Ooh. making the round. No, don't give me the woo. Don't give me the what? Woo. Don't give me why. The what? There's no way that that wasn't a doctor. That's not a genuine. Vi- him. I, I just think no way. Well, how would the, you look at it? I've seen pictures. I've seen stills and I've seen the whole video. There like, is no way that that's a legitimate video that's making the rounds on Twitter. What if, what if, it, what if it is? You don't think it is? He can. Ju- I mean, he can jump out of the building. There's you no- know, he can. Maybe he can jump out of the building, but I've watched that video no less than like 150 times. Okay. And there is absolutely no way that that's a legitimate video. On which which watch out of those 150 did you determine that there was no way that it could have been done? It would be the first, second, third, fourth, (laughs) and we can go all the way through to 150. I can prove to you that I can count to 150, but okay. Are you are you are you looking at me through the Zoom, telling me that you do believe that that there was nothing? I, I just I watched it. There's no way. I, I watched it several times because I wanted to see if there were any inconsistencies. Because I don't know how they do. look. I'm a pretty good video editor, but things have come along in the last five, ten years that that shocked the hell out of me. So I, I guess it could have been altered, but it just I look at the quality of the video and everything. I mean, I went deep into this it looks legit other than the fact that you just don't see somebody jump like that and that's the only reason i think it's fake not because (laughs) not because i see some sort of a glitch in the video yes whoever put it together did a masterful job if it's not if it's not legitimate and there's something fake about it they did a masterful. there's no video evidence that it was doctored but just i've never seen a guy jump there's no way I mean, whoever it is that's the high jump champion, the greatest high jumper in Olympic history, wouldn't jump that high for a for a. The NFL must have thought it was legit. Why they drug tested him? Yeah, well, Um, no, but that was fun. Obviously, McClung in the dunk contest was fun. Although, I will say, I was I was disappointed. In the NBA, I was disappointed in the All Star break. Obviously, we know it was in Salt Lake City. We know of the tradition, the history of the Utah Jazz. Carl Malone, you know, he's now third. Obviously, LeBron passed him, and he, he got the scoring title, knocking Malone down to third. And I get his place in NBA history, but I just don't understand how here we are in 2023. I don't understand how the NBA puts him out there front and center like that. Like, we're, we're touting and we're celebrating Carl Malone. Nobody, it seems like, uh, is getting into his his horrible, disgusting past. And and I I say truly horrible and disgusting. And for people who don't know, and I think people are finally starting to find this out uh, about Carl Malone when in in his playing days, early in his playing playing days, he impregnated. And I'm not even going to say allegedly because it's known and nobody's reported this. You're, well, you're talking it's documented. About yeah. Yes. He impregnated a 13 year old girl. He had Carl a baby. They had a baby. Yes. Yes. They he has a child and the mother was 13 years and old. He was at the born. time. How old? 20, 20 something. Yeah, it was 20. Look, I am somebody who I grew up a Utah jazz fan. Probably not a lot of people know that about me. I, but I grew that. up a Utah jazz that. fan. Yeah. Carl Malone was my childhood hero. And I was I was oblivious. I had no idea until probably about three years ago. And I read this article about it because they were talking. They were talking to um, the victim, and and it was a whole article about that and the kid and how he didn't want you know wasn't in the kids' Played life. Played in the NFL. 
The kid yeah. played in the NFL. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The kid is 38 and years old. I think 38 geez, years old now, now, which is crazy to think, yeah. but so more and more people are finding out about this, but I still think it's maybe 10% of people who know Carl Malone is even know of this story to that end. I can tell you that last week when I became aware that he had been named to one of the judges of the slam dunk contest. And then I read some of the criticism of why he shouldn't be. I sat there asking myself, how the hell do I not know this story or mm -hmm. have I forgotten the story? How is it possible that I've been in sports radio and in the business that I'm in for the last 35 years and that I even read that this thing became documented and came out 20 years ago. It was yeah. in the newspapers. It was being written about and talked about. How do I either not remember or how did this escape me? I, I felt like on Thursday of last week when I read about he and the 13-year-old and the kid, I was like, I don't have any recollection of knowing the story. How is that right. possible? Yeah. And you, I mean, you would remember that. Sure. I mean, that you, you're not going to forget no. that. You had never heard it. So How? And I hadn't heard it until a couple of years ago. How? I, I don't know how. A story like this and a player of his magnitude, greatest power forward of all time, at the right. time, second leading scorer in the NBA, all time. A player like that, um, a Hall of Famer. I, I don't know how it wasn't even like it was swept under the rug. It was just not talked about. Do you believe that the the reaction over the weekend to his to his appearance in Utah at the slam dunk contest has been big and giant or has it been small? Let me ask it to you uh, this way. What which has been a bigger thing over the weekend? Him being at the slam dunk contest or tampon gate with <laughs> Tiger Woods at Riviera Country Club in the first round with Justin Thomas. Tampon Gate was way bigger. I mean, nobody cared. Imagine that. Not nobody, but most people didn't care he was there anyway. And then, like I said, about 10%. So the people that did care, take that. And not a lot of people still know the story. And he was, there were a couple of questions, a couple of stories written about NBA, it even over the weekend. But, but, but Adam Silver knows the story. Of course he does. The NBA owners know. How did Adam Silver allow this to happen? And I, Reggie Miller on commentary. I don't, I don't even pick. He, know, he's got, he knows the story. It's crazy because Adam Silver, if you said to me, if there's one guy that's not going to let this get through the cracks, yeah, it's going to be Adam Silver. He will not allow this to happen. And mm -hmm. yet there was there was Carl Malone front and center. It almost made me feel like, are you sure, Slickhawk, that this is documented? This isn't I know. A, this isn't a rumor. This isn't yeah. speculation. This is a true blue story. The son has spoken about it. Carl Malone, mm -hmm. very little has spoken about it. The woman who was 13 at the time has this is not something that's conjecture, right? This yeah, is no, this is how, how this is a how, real story. How'd they parade him out there? How did they allow him to go out there at the most celebratory weekend of the year for the National Basketball Association? How they yeah, let I don't know. It was, but it was disappointing. I was disappointed by that. We're going to segue into the Tiger Woods thing, and neither right. one of us are women. So I don't think that you and I have the grounds to, to make a proper decision about no, what we're both did married to women. Yes, we are. So which, which yes, helps we a are. little bit. Think about the incredible all over the universe reaction to the prank mm -hmm. that Tiger Woods pulled with Justin Thomas. Sure. Think about the reaction to that compared to the very little reaction that we got right. about a guy in Carl Malone 
who had a kid with a 13-year-old when he was 20. Yeah. How did we spend so much time and attention on the tampon right. that Tiger Woods handed in jest to Justin Thomas on last Thursday, mm-hmm. and yet very little attention to the <laughs> Carl Malone story at the All-Star game? And I get the, you know, with the with the, the whole tampon game and everything. Like, I, I totally, anybody who's critical or upset, or I totally get where it's coming from because it's, it's the age-old trope, right? You know, men versus women and and everything and how women are viewed uh, when it comes we to athletics. Can, yes. Totally get it. Totally, I totally get, get it. it. Totally get it. But yeah, in comparison to a story like that, there is no comparison. So what did Amy think of the... Of the story of the tampon before I tell you what my wife Sharon. Yeah. Yeah. She uh, she thought a little bit too much is being made of it. I think she feels kind of the same way that I do when I when I talk to her. Of course, it's a little bit cringe. Like it's a little bit like eye roll. It's of course, it's juvenile. Did you really have to? But it's not malicious. There's no malicious intent. Nobody's hurt by it. Amy's not offended. And she kind of looked at it um, from a totally different viewpoint than I was expecting too. she's saying, hey, look. It's got people talking. It's a headline. And she says, golf needs headlines. Golf needs people talking about it. Nah. You know, we're, we're, well, not, I don't, I don't disagree with, Ti- with that. Yeah, but not with Tiger. There was so much being talked about with Tiger just being play, just sure. being in Los Angeles playing that he didn't need this, certainly. Well, it could have been anybody, though. It could have yeah. been anybody. Yeah. What did, what did your wife have to say? Sharon said that she got a little bit of a giggle out of it. A mm-hmm. little bit of a giggle. And is not particularly offended by the joke. Yeah. But if Tiger Woods cares about his image mm-hmm. and he really cares about not offending a section of the universe, a big section of the universe, then it was stupid. It yeah. was dumb on his part for him to think this was her words for him to think that he could pull this off surreptitiously and have no cameras for him to think that it was not going to come out, that yeah, nobody that, was going to Amy said it. that too. I mean, <laughs> he, she said he's got to know that everybody's watching, everybody's mm-hmm. paying attention, and he's a role model. So if he cares, if he yeah. cares about his image, then it was just dumb. If he doesn't care what people think, then yeah. so be it. Then it doesn't really matter. Of course, JT didn't do him any favors by like taking it and chucking it aside. And if there was any question as to what Tiger did, right. well, here it is right. uh, for everybody to see. Right. But. Christine Brennan of the USA Today. You want to know what she wrote? Okay. I'm guessing most of the millions of fathers and mothers who support athletic daughters probably have retired juvenile pranks that were intended to demean those girls they love, but not our Tiger. No, he employed basic misogyny to insult his good friend Thomas, a knee slapper of a dig against female athletes. You hit the golf ball like a girl. That's what Christine Brennan wrote. Your old friend and co-worker Ashley Ryan, would you like to know what she wrote on Twitter? Sure. I'm sorry, I can't understand why we are offended by Tiger handing a tampon to JT yesterday It was a joke between friends and it wasn't overt. Stop looking for a reason to be offended and laugh a little. It takes way more energy to fake righteousness than it does to laugh. There's two women that we know very well. I've known Christine Brennan for 35 years from my days Mm -hmm. in D.C. We've both known Ashley Ryan for a long time. There's two different ends of the spectrum. I think women, women in particular are very split about tampon gate and whether to laugh or to be offended by what Tiger did. And I think they're both right. 
I think they're both right. It's it's however it strikes you. You leave yourself open to that. Absolutely right. Like you say, you leave yourself open to that wide spectrum of people's reactions when when you do something like that. The shame of it all is it takes away from what I thought was a was a very interesting and exciting, at least for the world of golf weekend at Riviera, one of the great fame courses on the PGA Tour every single year. Tiger came out. He made the cut. He made me money because you now owe me money. Right, right. He showed that he can Apparently hit all the shots. G's. He showed that he can hit all the shots. Mm-hmm. But he came out on Saturday and shot a little four under sixty-seven, yeah. which was one of the best rounds of the day. And uh, yeah, overall, he got through four rounds. Mm-hmm. He wasn't competitive in terms of the leaderboard. But I think it was a joyous kind of celebration of golf. It's too bad that that little prank that he did on on Thursday distracted us from what I thought was overall a yeah. very feel good story that the guy with all that he's been through was able to come back and be semi competitive on the PGA Tour. Yes, I loved watching him. Obviously, I loved that he's back. He was walking around, didn't have a noticeable limp. He was looking all right. And you, like you said, there were some great golf shots that were made by Tiger uh-huh. Woods, some Tiger-like golf shots. Yes. So I guess I put it back to you then. I mean, obviously, he was rusty, and he's gonna he's got a lot still more work to do physically to get to where he can – you know, deal with the grind of four consecutive days of golf and walking around and making those shots. So I do wonder if he'll ever, if he'll ever win again. I, w- I wonder what your thoughts are on that because well, well, we all obviously more than anything, we want to see it. <sighs> well, you can analyze it a couple of different ways. First of all, how much is he going to play? Mm-hmm. That's going to go a long way in determining whether he's ever going to win again. How many chances does he have to win? And what he keeps saying is I'm going to play a, the four majors, hopefully, and yep. maybe a couple of more. Mm-hmm. So let's say a couple of more is three more. Let's yeah. say over the next few years. Now, remember, he's, what, 40, 47 years old? I think he's 47 sure. years old. Okay, that's that's the first thing. Forget all the injuries. <laughs> Forget all the knee problems and surgeries and car accidents and back surgeries. Yeah. Remember, he's 47. He, he's almost a Champions Tour player. Right. So you start with that. Now he tells you that over the next two, three, four years, he's going to play six, seven times a year. Mm -hmm. So what you're really saying is over the next three years, there's like 20 tournaments left. Yeah. So now you're asking me, is he going to win one of the 20 tournaments? I think the answer is clearly no. Mm -hmm. That we'll never see Tiger Woods win a PGA Tour event again. Yeah. That we'll never see Tiger Woods win a major championship. on. Will he win on the Champions Tour maybe someday when they play three rounds and right. it's not as rigorous and he can come out at age 51 and 52 if he even wants to play on the on the Seniors Tour and the Champions Tour? Maybe. But I would say that the percentages of him ever winning a PGA Tour event, if he's only going to play 20 over the yeah. next three years, would be zero. But here's what here's what I will say. That if he's going to win one, there's one in particular that he's got a much better chance of winning than all the rest. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that he's going to play next. <laughs> that's the one the second week of April. Yes. When on my birthday, when my wife says, what do you want for your birthday? I say, take the kids, get on I-90 on <laughs> Sunday and drive east until I call you and tell you you can come back. Okay. My favorite weekend. But if you said, Mitch, he's going to win one. 
Mm-hmm. I'm looking into my crystal ball, or the good Lord above has told me he's going to win one more. Mm. Which one is it going to be? I would say sure. it will be Augusta National for a couple of reasons. Number one, no pro-am at the Masters. Remember, he's not only walking four days, but he had to play a pro-am on Wednesday where he played 16 holes. He's got to walk that golf course And he's got to prepare and he's got to play practice rounds. It's not just the four days of walking. There's more that comes comes with it in the days leading up to it, including a mandatory, mandatory pro-am that he has to play. No pro-am at Augusta National, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Smaller field at Augusta National, whereas in the U.S. Open, there's 156 guys. In the British Open, there's 156 guys. I'm not sure. PGA Championship, probably 150 guys. Mm -hmm. Where in the Masters, year to year, it could be 90, 95. Smaller field, less guys he has to beat. And then number three, and the biggest reason why, if he ever wins another tournament, it will be the Masters, in my opinion, is because... The moment he steps on the first tee, unlike any other event, any other major, any other tournament in L.A. or wherever he might play, Jack's course in Muirfield Village in Ohio, he walks onto the first tee at the Masters with an advantage over everybody else in terms of his knowledge. Only one guy in the history of golf ever had the same advantage. And that was Jack Nicholas. The two guys are the only two guys who, when they get on the first tee, they have this incredible knowledge of the golf course. They know the nuances. They know the angles. They know the breaks. They know the bounces. They know everything much more than everybody else in the field. Pick anybody. Jordan Spieth, Justin Ty, whoever you want. Sure. Scotty Scheffler. When Tiger Woods steps onto the first tee at Augusta National, he starts with an intrinsic advantage over everybody else in the field. So mm. because of those reasons, he, if he ever wins again, will be at Augusta National. Here's the one big problem. Well, there's a few big problems. The obvious, which is he's not playing. He's coming out after months and months of not playing in a tournament. Yeah. And the other obvious, which is his physical limitations and his physical ailments and his age. Mm-hmm. Here's the not-so-obvious thing about Augusta that you've heard from time to time that I, for one, I'm one of the fortunate few that can tell you firsthand because I've had the privilege of playing Augusta National four times. Hmm. The walk is brutal. Yeah. Augusta National is like no other walk. You can't imagine from watching on TV what the walk is like when you walk off the eight and I did it four times and I was much younger. (laughs) Let's see. Was I younger than he is now? I was about the same age as he is now, but I didn't have back surgeries. I didn't have knee surgeries. I wasn't in an accident that almost amputated my leg. Mm -hmm. I I didn't have any of the ailments that he has. Now you walk off of that 18th green and it is, you are spent and It's up and down. It's elevation changes. It is a real bear of a walk, despite it being in the southeast portion of the United States. And so I just wonder whether he could hold it together for four rounds of that walk and still be effective enough in the final round to win the Masters. Those are my my thoughts about whether he'll ever win a tournament. I mean, all signs point to probably, probably, probably not. Probably. I do have one question for you, though. Yes. 
on any of the four times you played Augusta National. Yes. On 16, did you get the Sunday pin placement? I got the Sunday pin placement. <laughs> How'd it go? It. Did not go well. <laughs> not only did I get the Sunday pin placement, I wanted the we played twice a day for two days. Uh-huh. So I only had two pin placements. Not like I had uh-huh. four pin placements. The second day we had the Sunday pin placement, and I'll have God. you know that I hit it on the second round of the second day, right where Tiger was when he chipped it up and it came back in. Really? I had, I had the exact, I almost was in this divot. <laughs> I almost was exactly. You knew how I, to play it. <laughs> a lot of good that did me. <laughs> was Vern in the tower? Uh, there was, <laughs> <laughs> in your life, have you ever? Oh, God. Let's just say that Mitch was not able to pull off the shot quite like Tiger was. <laughs> But anyway, it'll be fun to see him at Augusta National the second week of April. I believe that that'll be the next time we see him. I think mm-hmm. there's an outside shot, an outside shot that he plays if he's feeling good at that Players' Championship in Sawgrass, which is still another, let's see, one, two, three. I think it's four weeks from now mm-hmm. in the middle of March as one more before the U.S. Open. He won the U.S. Amateur there, and then he won as a pro on that great chip on 17. Better than most. Better than most. You remember that? <laughs> of course. Um, he might play there, but I, I would, if I were a betting man, I would say we're not going to see him again until Augusta National the second week of April. Yeah, so. I think so. Yeah. So. And uh, we'll watch, and we'll hope. Three interviews on this episode 227, and then you and I have a lot of other stuff to go over a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of other stuff to go over hey look who's back on mitch unfiltered it's katie versio the director of financial planning at evergreen golf call happy new year katie i know what 2022 was like for all of us investors out there not good How about for you guys at Evergreen Golf Call? Yes. Well, thanks for having me, Mitch, back on the podcast. As we've talked about many times, 2022 is a very challenging year for the markets where for the last 10 years or so, we haven't had a lot of volatility. And at the end of the year, the market ended down about 18% and bonds ended down about 13%. So it's been a tough environment for investors. Basically, every asset class was down, but it was a really good year for Evergreen, I would say. There was still a lot of volatility in our portfolios, but we find a lot of opportunity during these turbulent times. We manage our portfolios very actively, and this was a real shakeup of a year where we were able to find a lot of clients that may have been managing portfolios on their own, and now we're realizing, hey, this is more complicated than I thought, and I really want to make sure that I'm holding up well for, for my own goals here. For those listeners out there that don't have a plan, an investment, or a financial plan, or haven't reviewed it in a long time or just have questions of if you're on track, now is a great time to learn more about our services. So what would be the best way to contact you for our listeners? Do it through the website? Yes. So if you go to our website, www.evergreengk.com, you can learn more about our services on the website. And there's also a client compatibility survey that you can take that will then have one of our advisors contact you. Very good to know. And for all of us who need help, and most of us do, with our investment needs. Katie Versio and Evergreen Golf Call are there for you. EvergreenGK.com, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. 
And once again, it's great to be joined by John Waterstrap, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, always a great sponsor, title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition. John, how are you? Doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Another football season is in the books, and we know football season is synonymous with fireplaces and fireside home solutions, but still some cold and damp months ahead, John. Yep, there is definitely some cold, damp months ahead, and there's no better time to buy than these couple months. Uh, February seems to always have a little bit of rain, and we're getting those cold weathers. Our, our lead times are down. We want you to get those products into your home and keep you nice and cozy and warm. And also, we have some great discounts coming. Soup to nuts. What's the time frame now? So right about two weeks. Installers are getting a little bit of our lead times down. So two weeks, we can get that product right into your house and no better time than now. Allow me, John, to ask you the question I asked our other partners. How was 2022 for Fireside? The good... <laughs> And the challenges, what would you say? Oh, well, if I look back on that, you know, stock definitely being one of those big issues that we had. But again, we, we were blessed with just great customers and being able to get those fireplaces in and be able to stock products that we needed to and people being patient with us and uh, really thankful to have a great year this year. So if you could snap your fingers and accomplish a few specific goals in 2023 besides your Seahawks winning the Super Bowl. What would they be for Fireside Home Solutions, John? Five-star service to all our customers, but most importantly is keep our lead times down. You know, we want to be able to help as many customers as we can out there, and lead times are important, you know, to get through customers, just like if you're at any kind of restaurant or anything, you want to be able to get to those customers as soon as possible. And like I said, I think stock will be better this coming year. We want to keep our lead times down so we can accomplish a lot next year. I can genuinely say, that Mitch Unfiltered would not be where we are four and a half years later without our terrific sponsor, John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, literally the title sponsor of every audience contest that we do on the podcast. So begin your search for a new fireplace at firesidehomesolutions.com. Unfiltered. It's an eagle city. We get it. There's no argument about that. But this is a chief corner. This is our corner. This is our home. Um, South Philly knows this corner. We've been here 40 years. We're Flyer fans, Philly fans, Sixer fans. It's just when it comes to football, it's a little bit different. You know, sports fans in the city of brotherly love continue to mourn the close call loss of their beloved Eagles in Super Bowl 57, continue to complain about the holding call that eliminated any chance of a final drive. Well, not all sports fans in Philly, actually. I introduce you to Big Charlie's Saloon in South Philadelphia, a stone's throw from the stadium the Eagles call home. You see, they call it Arrowhead East, where for years, Chiefs fans have congregated and celebrated. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the triumphant owner, Paul Stako. Hi, Paulie. How you guys doing? I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? Was it a good call, the holding call, or was it a bad call, the holding call? I was holding. It was definitely holding. I was holding. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. You're welcome. Congratulations. What's this week been like at Big Charlie's in the heart of Philadelphia? After or before? Both. Well, before it was hacked. It was two weeks of um, we had to make a couple hard decisions around here. You know, we had to close for the game. We couldn't get everybody inside. Normally, on, on a, if the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, we'll have something outside. We'll block the streets off. We get permits to um, do that. 
playing the Eagles, we didn't think it was so um, so safe, and the, do, we basically didn't, didn't think it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So we we kept it just inside. Mm-hmm. So we, we we went from selling a hundred tickets to one fifty, and then it was not going to happen. It was just too many people. We didn't want to cut nobody off. So we just decided to close up for the day. A few of us just watched the game in here by ourselves. That must have been an excruciating decision. I mean, every Sunday during the football season, all these Chiefs fans come to your place, and this is what they're waiting for. This is what they're rooting for, a Super Bowl. But you had to make a tough decision, Paulie. Yeah, it was definitely tough. I just felt like I was going to have to cut somebody off, and I didn't want to do that. I felt that it was – you know, at the end of the day, I just I thought it was the right thing to do. If the Eagles would have won, people would have been stranded in the streets too. Yeah. In other words, you would have never been able to get out of here. Most people come to the bar now with Ubers, taxis. They would have never been able to get out. People would have been flocking to the city. So that was a consideration. You know, I just couldn't kick people out and say, okay, just fend for yourself. I would have felt responsible for that. So at the end of the day, it wasn't that. It was I, I was actually relieved. Uh, um, at the end of it. No trouble from, from sore losers in the last couple of days? No, we're good. See, this is our neighborhood. They kind of know that we've been doing it for 40 years. So the, the neighborhood kind of knows us. Our neighbors were disappointed. And they're, they're Eagle fans, like our neighbors. Yeah. Uh, we're disappointed that we wasn't going to give it a go. Mm-hmm. They were disappointed for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, we, you know, we get along with the neighborhood. We don't have no problem with the neighbors. Any, any, any bull would have came from, I think, outside the neighborhood. Right. And what has been the last few days since they won the Super Bowl and you reopened? What's that been like at Big Charlie's? No, it's been great. A lot of Eagle fans coming in, you know, congratulating us. Our fans come back. I mean, a lot of Chief fans. And like I said, this is neighborhood guys. So we have neighborhood guys who are Eagle fans. And then it's like guys in here that are all Chief fans. But, you know, like we mesh together. So it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I heard that you're all everything employee. Laura was at the Super Bowl parade in Kansas City. Did Polly go, or did you stay back? No, I, I stood back. I had, to, I had to hold the floor down. I had to, I had to stay here. Yeah. <laughs> so lay on us the history of Charlie's and how it became such a great Chiefs Phillies headquarters. Go back to when you were a kid when you started rooting for the Chiefs fans. I understand there's some story about a bet with your dad about a bicycle. What is that? Yes. So my father bought the bar in um, 72. In 1970, um, the Chiefs played the Super Bowl. They played the Vikings, and basically he was a better. We needed the um, the Chiefs to win. Yeah. I only remember rooting for a red team. You know, he was clapping. I was clapping. They won. The next day I got a bike. So the following year, the following year, I remember that team. And that was it from then on in. That was basically it. How did your dad become a Chiefs fan? No, he, he wasn't. He was a better. Oh, so okay. he, whoever he bet, he liked. <laughs> so whoever it was. But that day he had, you know, he had the Chiefs. That was it for me. That I got a bike the next day, and I was a fan ever since. I love that story. So then he buys yeah. the, he buys the bar in what nineteen seventy two, and you and you yeah. start. When did you start running the bar? And it, from the moment it opened, was it a Chiefs place or was that after no, you came? No, no. Well, ahead. he passed away in eighty three. So then we came here. So basically, about nineteen eighty, I got a satellite dish, and about four or five of us was at my mother's house. And when he passed away in eighty three, we just took the party over here. We took the um the satellite over here, and we became um, diehards from that point on. But a couple years prior, we actually watched the game at my mother's house. 
every square inch of the walls at Big Charlie's is covered with chief stuff. What's a Sunday like? Try to paint the picture of what a Sunday during football season is like at Big Charlie's Saloon. So this is pre-Patrick Mahomes or after Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> well, what were the yeah. de- what were the decades of bad football like for Big Charlie's? <laughs> yeah, basically four or five of us. We'd be walking around with chief gear on and people didn't even acknowledge it. They didn't know if it was a soccer team, what it was. In the early 80s through to 90, until Marty Schottenheimer came yeah. um, on board, it was it was lean. It was lean years. Yeah. And then Patrick Mahomes and what happened? Well, it exploded. Then it went from, you know, basically we had the front already done. In other words, we, we had, a, had a back room built, basically just Chiefs. Fit about 20 people. Mm-hmm. Then the 20 became basically 40 people. So we expanded up front. We've been doing that for at least 30 years as far as the whole bar. But when he came on board, it just went to another level. Now you have people from out of state, people from, I mean, all over. You could be sitting down on a Sunday not knowing who's going to be next to you. It could be anybody as far as West Coast, Midwest, yeah. you know, up north, south. It could be anywhere. How many TVs do you have, Paulie? Ten, ten TVs. And so it's a little place. It's it's a real little place. Okay. It's not big. So so my question is: is on a Sunday, let's say the Chiefs are playing, and the Eagles are well, playing at the same time. Do the Eagles get one TV near the bathroom, or do they not get any TVs? No, they get a TV. There's an old timer, seventy five years old, stone cold Eagle fan. Yeah, and I love him to death. I do give him a TV. Normally, it's up front unless it's a big game. Then I'll have to turn around. He don't like that. So I try to accommodate him and put it up for him. The younger guys, I kind of I break it for them a little bit. I might tease them. I might put it on the side. But if he walks in, the old-timer, I give him that respect. But it's all good. It's all in fun. Everybody understands that. I think people in our audience have to understand how how popular – Big Charlie's has become across the country in terms of chief stardom. Listen, Steve Spagnola, the defensive yes. coordinator of the Chiefs, was at Big Charlie's during the bye week, was he not? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's um, People come in and, and, and a lot of people walk in and are like, wow, I thought it was a lot bigger than this. You come in, you stay an hour. Yeah. And you kind of talk to people, and they're for real people that you're talking to. It's unique. We're, we're different people. We, I never say we're better than people, but we are kind of our own kind of people. And there's a lot of people that really appreciate that in us. You know, we have, we're grinders. We're not rich people, nothing like that. But I think people do like our personalities. Are, you know, we are for real people. Yeah. Spagnola loves the place. Did he send you a gift after they won the Super Bowl in 2020? <laughs> Yes, he gave us a trophy, actually. He gave us some Super Bowl trophy, him and his wife. Yeah, they've just been special people. They're really special people. They get a kick out of us. They love us. They love us. <laughs> Who else from the Chiefs' connections come to your place? I understand there was a story where Rich Gannon's parents, when he was quarterbacking the Chiefs, might have come for a game or two to watch their son. Yes? Yeah, more than that. What happened was, so we're watching a game, and – Rich Gannon's parents were on the side. Make a long story short, we don't know who they are. At the end of the game, a lady came up to us. I think it was a daughter-in-law. Came up to us and said, I want to introduce you to somebody. This is Rich Gannon's mother, Rich Gannon's father. Well, they loved the play so much that Rich played in Veterans Stadium, I believe. And um, the father was here. On our radio stations in the city, they were killing him. How could your son be playing a block away and you're in a bar 
<laughs> but he wasn't even drinking the guy. But, but they blasted him. They blasted him. They, and I, believe me, I don't even think he was drinking. If he had a drink, he had one beer. But they blasted him on the radio station that, you know, how dare him and all that. But we cut, you know, he he actually laughed. But he said, he said, tell us, I will never go to a game that my son's at not being here. If my son's playing for the Chiefs, I'll be here. Uh, and and he was. He was here the whole way. I think it was two years after that. Didn't miss a game. Uh, he didn't miss a game. That's fantastic. And NFL Films came in and did a feature on your place? Yeah, they did a story with Dick Vermeil. They surprised us. Yeah. So Dick Vermeil's coming to the bar, and there were six coaches in the truck with him. And he's telling a story about a lady that reached out to him. And he basically ate dinner at, at her house one night. So he's telling a story basically that he gets called to the office because her brother was a known gambler, sports gambling. Oh. The next day he gets called to the office, make a long story short. So he comes in here. I asked him, do you know my cousin Dolores? And then he goes into, yeah, yeah, I got in trouble. That was the brother. He was gambling. And we all start laughing about it. But he was innocent. He didn't know what he was getting involved with. He just met this lady, but her brother used to do whatever he used to do. And it got a little bit hairy for him, but it all turned out good. Paulie, you've got such great stories. What's your favorite Big Charlie's memory? Do you have one that really wow. stands out over the last 30 or 40 years? Something that happened that you can share with our audience? My best, I'm going to be honest with you, um, this Super Bowl was the best. That I don't think it, there's a, a close second. The Super Bowl against Eagles was number one. It's, I don't even think there's, there's something close to it. I thought we met, it meant so much for this corner. Just to, you know, be in the middle of Eagleville and be able to still go on operating. I, it would have been so bad for the corner as far as just bullshit. Yeah. I think it would have been bullshit. <laughs> and um, just to be here, my, I had some crazy thoughts of how it could have been if it winded up the other way. Thank God I don't have to worry about that as far as, you know, patrons and oh. people walking to the bar with cheap stuff on and just a lot of bull that we might have. We'd have to, we, now we don't have to worry about it, put it that way. So you think it would have been far worse for you guys, from a safety standpoint, had the Eagles won, then if the Chiefs won, I would have thought maybe there would be, be some sore sports that would have wandered in. Yeah, no, I think the big, I think it would have been bigger numbers yeah. would have win. Yeah. I mean, I think it just would have been crazy numbers if the Eagles would have won. That night and like a parade. I was thinking about even closing up for a week. Yeah. Like, you know, just not to put people through bullshit. Yeah. Like I said, the neighborhood's tight. We're good with the neighborhood, but just outside stuff. Like whoever goes to the stadium, you know, they're, they're from all, all places. It ain't just South Philly. South Philly gets a bad rap, but it ain't South Philians. People assume it's South Philians, but a lot of times it isn't. It's outsiders. Yeah. I'm not much of a Chiefs fan, Paulie, but I got to stop in the next time I'm in Philadelphia. My parents and family are from nearby Scranton, Pennsylvania. So are you every, close? Every once in a while, I get back to. I get back to Philadelphia. Am I eating at Big Charlie's or just drinking? You have a kitchen? What no, am I? you got both. Listen, you got an open tab. You got an open tab. You come here. What am I? It's open. What am I eating? What's the best that you've got to offer at Big Charlie? What am I going to have? Well, listen, we'll get you hoagies. We'll get you cheesesteaks. <laughs> we'll get, we'll, we'll, believe me, we'll hook you up. I promise you. You got to promise that you'll have tasty cakes for me for dessert, though. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll get that. That's right down the street. We'll get, we go there. 
Yeah, it's a little candy store right, on the side, right, right across the street. We'll, we'll hook you up. I need a, I need a couple of butterscotch crimpets. You know, you know the You're story. You're in. <laughs> You're in. You're in. Oh, love it. Paul Stako is the owner for many, many years. A big Charlie salute in South Philadelphia. It's the Chiefs headquarters. They had a lot of fun, and they're champs. They're champs of the world again. Uh, Paulie, thank you so much for being on our show, Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, look who it is. Lindsey Schwartz, Daniel's Broiler, my favorite place for special occasions. How's everything going over there at Daniel's, Lindsey? Hey, Mitch, it's going great. Month of February, Valentine's Day, of course. Super busy night for us. Great month for us. We're excited for February. You know, it's award season in the NFL, and I thought, let's give out some awards to the Daniel's Broiler menu. Are you ready to humor me on this? Let's do it. Okay. Geno Smith was recently named the Comeback Player of the Year in the National Football League. Is there a comeback item of the year at Daniel's Broiler? You know, I love it. I love it, Mitch. There actually is, believe it or not. No, there clearly is. Okay. And it's it's the oysters on the half shell. It's the raw oysters. It was uh, Daniel's staple for years. Very popular item. And during the pandemic, it was harder to get. You know, we were open for a while, closed for a while, open for a while. It, it was just too difficult to manage. And uh, we missed it. And we finally brought them back this past year. Of course, has been a huge hit, a uh, huge comeback comeback player of the year for sure raw oysters on the half shell the comeback player of the year at daniels now we've got two great rookies on the seahawks Tariq woolen ken walker and others is there a rookie of the year a newer item on your menu that gets acclaimed Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with the Piedmontese filet imported from Italy. It's grass fed, a little bit different texture than what you're used to and and really delicious. One of my favorites. Got to be the rookie of the year. And then there's the biggest of the big, the most prestigious award, the MVP, the most valuable player, or in your case, the MVI, the most valuable item on the Daniels broiler menu. And it goes to which one? I mean, we got to go with the old standby. We got to go with the number one selling thing on the menu. We're a steakhouse. We're known for steaks. And the best seller is the filet mignon. It comes in two sizes, the 8-ounce, the 12-ounce. Can't beat it. It, it. It's the goat. It's the Tom Brady of Daniel's Broiler. And uh, I just don't know how anything else could be the MVP. The ribeye doesn't compete, huh? I mean, they're all good. I got nothing bad to say about any of them. But you asked me for the MVP. I, I Like I said, I, I got to go with the goat. The filet mignon is the MVP. The rookie of the year is the Piedmontese and raw oysters on the half shell. The comeback item of the year at Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Charity Watch, a watchdog group, rates its top charities by those that spend 75% or more of their budgets on programs. In an online statement, the foundation says since it was founded in 2014, we've successfully partnered to deliver over $13 million benefiting education, pediatric cancer research, and hunger prevention. You know, lots of chatter about the Russell Wilson Charitable Foundation after that expose a few weeks ago. Generally, I've been very hesitant to arrive at any conclusion because of my overall ignorance on the topic. Well, hopefully that comes to an end here. Lori Styron is the executive director of Charity Watch in Chicago. 
which describes itself as the only independent charity watchdog in the United States. Hi, Lori. Thank you for being with us. How are you? Of course. Well, it is a little chilly out here, but otherwise I'm, I'm doing well. And I hope that uh, I hope that I can uh, bring some insight to the to this very important topic to your I, listeners. Today. I appreciate that. Before we jump right in, tell me about Charity Watch and how you guys have spent your days over the last 30 years. Sure. Well, yeah, we were founded in 1992. We are the only independent charity watchdog in the United States. There's a lot of organizations that have big online databases where they rate charities, but that that information is typically crowdsourced or it's automated and it doesn't really get beyond the face value of what charities are reporting about themselves. And I think as this situation illustrates with some of the athletes' charities, you do need to go beyond the face value of the reporting because you can't necessarily see everything that's going on just by looking at a couple numbers. Right. So you're a nonprofit watchdog that rates foundations so that donors like me, us, we have a better grasp on who to engage with and who we might want to avoid, right? That's right. We, we rate charities on an A-plus to F scale, and we look at their audited financial statements and their tax filings and you know the history of their fundraising and their fundraising contracts and, and that sort of thing. And we follow the cash. Um, we make adjustments for all kinds of bad reporting and inconsistencies. And we basically tell people, if you if you give 100 bucks to a particular charity, how much of it is really going to be spent on the programs that you're intending to support, which is what donors typically really want to know. It's funny. I've been doing these shows for 30 years, Lori, and I have no recollection of ever hosting a discussion like this. Despite interviewing athletes and celebrities about their foundations all the time, generally speaking, why do you think we, the public, don't insist on some more evaluations? Do we just trust that an athlete or a celebrity must be doing good? Well, I think there's a couple things going on. First, I think there is a halo effect. If a fan really likes a particular athlete, and also if there's a level of sincerity where that athlete probably is trying to accomplish something good, there doesn't seem to be anything off about that, then people do want to believe that what what you see is what you get. The other issue is that I think people do have this assumption that there's this really tight, tough regulation by the government of nonprofit organizations. But in fact, it's it's perfectly legal for charities to spend as little as 1% of their budgets right. on programs without violating any laws. Right. So, you know, you can't really rely on the government that they totally have your back in this regard. You do as a donor before you give, you do have to do a little bit of research on your own to see if, um, you know, the charity's marketing materials really do line up with what their finances are reporting. So just because you're getting an F from Lori doesn't mean it's illegal what you're doing. Well, that's right. Well, and it's not from me personally. It's from Charity Watch. Although I know, although I, I have been, uh, I have been doing this for tw- uh, twenty years now, yeah. almost twenty years. Yeah, so I have a little experience in this. Um, but, 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 yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, the our our ratings, they don't, and I'm not aware of any ratings that would reflect this. It's we're not making a legal judgment about whether or not a, a law was broken. We're just, you know, we're, we're accountants, financial analysts. We're looking at the finances in a very deep way. And we're trying to understand, you know, what is a, what is a nonprofit really spending on its programs? How is it really using its resources? And is it accomplishing enough, you know, programmatically in grants or other programs relative to all the overhead it's spending or, right. you know, its resources? How, is it using its resources well? Is it using your donations well? 
Give us a little philanthropy 101. A man or woman becomes famous, wealthy, successful, and decides to set up a foundation to parlay their name, reputation into dollars to help a cause or causes. What typically happens next? Well, <laughs> you know, it, it really depends how serious the person is. There are all kinds of famous people who have gotten involved in charities or started up their own charities. One off the top of my head I can think of is the Michael J. Fox yes, Foundation, sure. you know, which deals with Parkinson's, for example. You know, that's a, that's a real organization staffed with competent people. These are nonprofit people. They know what they're doing and they, it's a full-time job and, you know, and they do, you know, they do pretty good work and they do it pretty efficiently. Um, a lot of times, though, with celebrity athletes or actors or musicians, it, it becomes this sort of thing where they might have some real genuine motivation that, oh, my gosh, I'm, you know, I have fans, I have money, I could really do something good. I could build a legacy and accomplish something, you know, positive for the world. But they don't necessarily have the follow through. Um, they don't necessarily have an understanding of just how onerous. The regulatory environment is or just, you know, the fiduciary duties they're taking on for a legal entity. You know, there's all kinds of reporting and accounting requirements. Yeah. A lot of famous people don't realize that these tax filings are public information. So who's on your board? If you stack your board of directors with friends and family or business associates, that's all public. If you pay family members or business associate salaries, what you pay them is public, their names are public. <laughs> and sometimes it's it's kind of a lack of awareness and, and also a lack of follow through where they're viewing it more kind of like this side hobby and not really taking it as seriously as they should be. This is a legal entity you're forming here. Mm -hmm. And you know, all of the <laughs> all of the seriousness mm -hmm. that should go along with that needs to be there. It isn't just a, a part time hobby. You really need to know what you're doing. You have the tax documents in front of you of the Why Not You Foundation. It was called out a couple of weeks ago in this expose. $600,000 to charity in 20 and 21. $1.1 million to salaries to those involved with the foundation. The CEO's salary was double the median for his position. Also a blurred line between compensation for work done for the foundation uh, to personal services done for the Wilson family office. These are some of the bullet points that were exposed in the article. What do the numbers and what does the form in front of you suggest to you, Lori? Yeah, you know, I looked at I looked at several years of these, as, you know, as did the journalist Jason Wolf with the Arizona Republic. Um, and we looked at some of them together. Well, here's a couple key points that that I want to bring up because this is really, really important. And it kind of goes back to something that I said a moment ago about um, this information being public. Right. Um, what we can see here is that in 2020, this nonprofit reports having only three board members, three members of the governing body, zero are reported as being independent, which that essentially means that there's constructively no board of directors. There's no one providing independent oversight of the organization. There's no one making sure that people are fulfilling their fiduciary duties. Another thing that really pops out to me or popped out to me when I looked at this 2020 form, did the organization have a written whistleblower policy? No. Did the organization have a written document retention and destruction policy? No. And importantly, as to the salaries that you just brought up, did the process for determining compensation 
include a review and approval by independent persons, comparability data, and contemporaneous substantiation of the deliberation and decision? No. <laughs> so one of the big issues you have here is that structurally, there just isn't the governance in place to prevent someone from being overpaid or to prevent the resources, the resources of the organization from not being diverted intentionally or not to some other purpose that could potentially enrich an individual or another company, or just generally speaking, prevent the resources of the organization, which includes employee time, includes the staff time that the organization is being paid for. There's nothing, there's no governing body here to really prevent those from being intermingled with the family business or, or, you know, other interests outside of the organization. So how does a foundation reconcile or arrive at salaries for those that run them? Is it merely based on annual contributions by the, uh, by the foundation to the charities, Lori? It isn't. It, it isn't. Determining appropriate compensation for, if I have to make like a really broad statement about in general, how is, how is charity compensation fairly determined? You really want to look at what, what are, you know, what is the education, skills, experience necessary to do a particular job? So you don't want to um, have a chief financial officer who's in charge of $20 million that only has a high school diploma, for example. <laughs> you know, you want people competent. But, but here's the thing about this particular charity is that it's pretty simple from an operational standpoint, meaning some organizations, you know, like the Red Cross is in charge of the nation's blood supply, or you have, you know, $100 million organizations that are providing emergency relief in Ukraine and then for earthquakes in Syria and Turkey, they have really complicated programs and operations all over the world. You, you might have to pay more to hire competent people to do things like that. With an organization like this, the only program that they reported in 2020 is giving out three grants. So that's what I want people to step back and ask themselves, is it worth paying almost a million dollars in overhead to give out three grants amounting to about $256,000? Is that justifiable? Do you really need someone working 40 hours a week, mm -hmm. you know, being paid over $200,000. And that's just one person. Do you really need to pay that kind of compensation to give out three grants? What are you doing all day for 40 hours a week? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It sort of, it sort of begs the question of, you know, how is this person really spending their time? And if you look at the financial reporting, it's just saying that they gave out three grants in 2020. So it, it really kind of calls into question is the organization accomplishing enough relative to the resources it receives? It just doesn't really look like it is. But their response to the amount of money that's going out the door to charities was our foundation works with other organizations, which is not reflected in our taxes. The executive director also says some of the money that we raised wasn't even credited on our 990 form. And had we insisted that it been so, more than 70 cents of every dollar would have been donated. Does that hold water? It does not hold water in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Let me explain why. First of all, the organization signs its own tax form. If there was something incorrect on its tax form, truly, you know, truly incorrect according to reporting rules, then they were responsible 
for catching that before they sign the document. So that's the first thing. You can't sort of externalize responsibility to an accountant or someone who filled out the form for you. At the end of the day, if you're in, in on the governing body of the organization, that's your responsibility. Um, the, the second thing I would say is that this is really a case of a charity wanting its marketing materials or language to sort of be prioritized over what the financial statements reveal. I'm going to just give a little bit of an analogy here just to kind of unmoney the waters. Imagine if any business or individual or nonprofit could say go to a bank and they showed the bank their financial statements and they showed that their their little business wasn't profitable and they didn't have a savings and they had nothing they had no collateral and they said they said to the bank, "Oh, don't worry though." look at these photos of me online hanging out with these other people who have money. I assure you that some of those resources I was responsible for, the bank's going to laugh in your face, right? The, the purpose of financial statements is they are supposed to be a reflection of the resources that a legal entity has, um, a reflection of how much money did you bring in? And this is true whether it's a for-profit or a nonprofit. How much money did you bring in? From where did you bring it in? How much did you spend and what did you spend it on? That's kind of the, the simple way to explain it. That needs to be reflected in the financial statements. You can't just kind of go around with your marketing materials and pretend that those are somehow a better reflection of how you're using your financial resources than what the tax filing that you signed, <laughs> right? So we do see that a lot at Charity Watch of marketing materials not really lining up with what the finances reveal. I I do want to add one thing. You know, there are nonprofits, they're typically larger ones, but there are nonprofits that form strategic partnerships with other, you know, with companies or other nonprofits, mm -hmm. but typically there's some sort of formal arrangement. So if a nonprofit is spending its staff time to raise money for other legal entities for a business or another nonprofit, there would be some sort of reimbursement arrangement in place or there would be some sort of, you know, quote unquote, profit sharing or contribution sharing where the portion that your nonprofit was responsible for raising would flow through your nonprofit organization. And then you could later grant it elsewhere. But, you know, the fact is, is that from what I can see, there's no evidence of this $13 million flowing through the financial statements of this organization. And they're also at least from what I can see here, doesn't appear to be any sort of yeah. reference to a formal arrangement or a reimbursement arrangement to pay for the employee time of someone who may have raised money for someone else. So it's just simply not here. So I guess I would say if you have to trust either the marketing or the financial reporting that someone signed, I would urge people to trust the financial reporting that someone signed. Lori, the other question that might be out of your jurisdiction, so just slap me if, it, if it's inappropriate for me to ask sure. you this. I, yeah. I think it needs to be asked is how much does Russell Wilson know? How culpable is the man with his name and reputation attached to the group? The fact is, we all know this, athletes have been financially taken advantage of for decades. Friends and others trying to make a quick buck off of their names it's it's difficult to understand what Russell Wilson's knowledge is of all of this. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm happy to to comment on this generally because um, you know, I'm an accountant and so of course we spent we spent our time today talking about the finances and the governance and that's 
really important stuff. But on a personal level, on a human to human kind of level, it it breaks my heart a little bit to see this because this is just a, a gut kind of a gut kind of instinct. But my sense with a lot of these athletes, Russell Wilson included, is that they have good intentions. They have fame and, and fans and money and they think, okay, I can do something good with that. And then they do, they do a lot of good things. And then they just get in over their heads on some things and time goes by and one thing leads to another. And before they know it, you know, they're typically not people who have the expertise to really run their own nonprofit organization. And then of course, lo and behold, things like this happen. So, you know, of course, you know, you, I, no one can get inside the mind of of Russell Wilson and understand how much he was aware of, but it is, it is a real shame that athletes who have good intentions and want to do something good, it is a shame that their reputations get tarnished with scandals like this. An athlete does not need to start up their own nonprofit organization. This is a huge amount of responsibility. The way to prevent things like this from happening in the future is to just athletes should really align themselves with existing nonprofits. Let the nonprofit people do what they're good at. You can do what you're good at, which is, you know, bringing attention to a cause, helping an existing charity raise money, living up to the star power that that you have to do some good in the world. There's really no need to start up a your own nonprofit if you're an athlete. There's a few exceptions to that. If you're retired, if you're someone who's really into it and you want to kind of make it a full-time job, sure. But otherwise, you're just really kind of putting your, your reputation to a lot of unnecessary risk. And so to be clear, Charity Watch has not or has graded the Why Not You Foundation, Lori? So we, you know, we did review the, the finances as part of um, talking with, with Jason Wolf for his reporting. We did discuss some of the finances with him, but we, uh, we don't rate charities of this size. This okay. one brings in under a million. Okay. We, um, because our financial analysis is so time intensive, we're, we rate just over about 650 nonprofit organizations, and they tend to be the larger ones that bring in at least a million or more of contributions every year. So my final question to you would be, I'll try to articulate what the Russell Wilson fan in our audience is yelling at his podcast right now, which is, okay, okay. this feels like a little bit of a witch hunt in the way that Russell Wilson has been a punching bag for all of us in sports the last 15 months, and it seems convenient that we are focused on his foundation, what might we find if we remove the couch cushions of all other athletes and celebrity charitable foundations? Well, I mean, the the Arizona Republic reporting, you know, did comment on a number of different athletes' charities. I personally have been quoted in news articles over the past six months about the Washington Commanders, about Tom Brady's charitable efforts, about Brett, Brett Favre. So, you know, this this is by no means a witch hunt against one person. That should really be the takeaway here. This should be a cautionary tale and hopefully a learning moment, which is that don't start up a charity if you don't know what you're doing. You know, <laughs> um, it's a very serious endeavor. And if you're not prepared to kind of make it a full-time job and, and to put everything in place that you need to do on an ongoing basis, it's yeah. just, it's, it's a pretty risky thing to do. The um, Russell Wilson foundation is by no means the only nonprofit organization associated with an athlete that, that we've identified issues with. And hopefully this will be a point of humor for some of your listeners. I know nothing about sports. 
<laughs> so uh, wh- whether or not he has been a punching bag for various things, I actually wouldn't even know that because my head has been buried in tax <laughs> filings for the past year. Um, uh, so again, the, these guys, most of these guys, and I, w- I would venture to say Russell Wilson included, you know, this isn't, this isn't a binary thing of, you know, good and evil. There are some clear mistakes here. You know, so it's a little more nuanced, but certainly any fan, I would think, would hopefully be rooting for him to kind of clean up this situation so that he can move on and continue to do all of the great things that he does. That was actually my last question, which was if he was in front of you, Lori, and he said, Lori, what do I do? I'm where I am now. What do I do? Would you tell him to close the doors of his foundation and wait until after his playing days were over when you can dedicate your full time to this and your efforts to this, or would there be a way for him to remedy this and, and change it up and get it going in the right direction? I mean, it really just depends how much time and energy he wants to dedicate to it. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not a PR expert. So as far as, you know, cleaning up the reputation enough to get people to continue to donate, I am, that's outside of my area of expertise, you know, cause I am more of the accounting financial analyst type of person, but there's so much better ways for athletes that with far less overhead, with far less money being wasted on overhead. There's so, so many better ways for an athlete to leverage their star power to help, you know, raise money for charities or to help them amplify their programs. And unless there's kind of a big overhaul here um, and unless there's just a way to repair the reputation completely, it, it might be a better path to just kind of cut the losses and move on and then move on to the next great charitable thing that he wants to do. Lori, it's uh it's nice to have you on. I'm very appreciative that, uh, that you shared your, your words of wisdom with not only me, but our audience on this episode of Mitch unfiltered. Thank you so much for being with us. You're most welcome. And you know, I learned a little bit about sports through this process too. <laughs> so it's always good when everyone can learn a little something. <laughs> Thank you, Lori. You're welcome. He's back. The president of Zeke's Pizza, Dapper Dan Black. How are we doing, Dan? Good. We're dapper this week, huh? (laughs) We are dapper. We are (laughs) dapper this week. I just spoke to Lindsay at Daniel's Broiler, and since it's award season in the NFL, I'm hoping that Zeke's can participate with the things that are happening in your world. Are you ready to go through three major awards? We'll see. I think so. (laughs) Geno Smith just won Comeback Player of the Year in the NFL. Who's the comeback player? What is the comeback player of the year for Zeke's? I'm going to give you two. We've got a tie, actually. Okay. So our Redmond location just reopened after a great remodel. So it's a full Northwest pizza pub with a beer bar right now. So that's pretty fun. That's definitely a good comeback because it was closed for a little while. And then we just launched a new app, which has rolled out to about half of our stores and it's working really well. So for people that are on the new app and are about to be on the new app, ordering has never been easier. So the app in Redmond. What's the biggest difference in the app? The customer interface is super easy. It's super intuitive. So literally after you've taken about 10 seconds to sign up with your email and stuff, pizza is like two button pushes away for the rest of your life. So it's really easy. And then we got rewards for the first time as well. That's cool, too. Everybody knows that the Seahawks had a bunch of very solid rookies. I need need a rookie of the year in the Zeke's pizza world. 
I'm going to go with a beer on this one. As we've talked about, we do a lot of collaboration beers with our brewing partners. And we did one with Fremont Brewing this summer called Z-Side Frozen IPA. And we couldn't keep it in stock. It flew off the shelves. And it was a fun one. And so we're working on some more collabs this summer. We're probably going to do some with Rubens Brews, who's our main brewing partner. I think I've told the story, but we helped launch them back in the day. We met them at a brewing party in Finney Ridge. And part of the reasons they became a commercial brewer was because Zeke's agreed to buy their product. So that's Zeke's and Rubens have a really close relationship. But Dan, there's gotta be a location that also should garner some rookie of the year status. No. Yeah. I'm going to go Seward park. Uh-huh. It's cool because it's become a total destination for NFL football games in the bar. And so that has been super fun. And then I'll throw Spokane in there too. And you're not going to like this, but they've become a destination for GU basketball games. It's packed, <laughs> it's packed out with students every game. All right. The only way that you can make up for that, Dan, is to call Mitch Levy your MVP. If I'm not your MVP, then what is or who is the MVP this year for Zeke's? Yeah, well, you're, you're, you're MVP 1A. You know, I'm going to go with the Cherry Bomb. The Cherry Bomb is our most popular pizza, and it's, it's the perennial favorite. It's the anchor of the menu, and I can't order Cherry Bomb enough, and most people I know can't order Cherry Bomb enough. Okay, we got the award, Zeke's Pizza. You love Zeke's Pizza. What a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered, and Zeke's Pizza, of course, is homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. is in for the touchdown. Mahomes in trouble. Mahomes now going to tuck it and run, and he is taken down. T.J. Edwards came to get him, and Mahomes is slow getting up. Butker up, got it. Hurts has all day. Now some rushers come. Going to throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short, and the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl. You know, when the Super Bowl ends and a champ is crowned, NFL fans around the world mourn and count the days until the next meaningful NFL game is played. It's tough for us on Unfiltered because it also means the conclusion of our weekly visits with my friend, former GM Randy Mueller, who will now concentrate on building a winner in the XFL. The Seattle Sea Dragon season is underway. Mules, we decided for your season finale to put you on the big free show, the big free Mitch Unfiltered. We've let you out of the patron corner, so you got to be really good now, okay? That's mighty brave of you, Mitch. You're brave. I'll give you that. You might not be very smart, but you're brave. And no one ever <laughs> accused me of being a very smart guy. Uh, before we chat about major offseason storylines and the Seahawks, did you enjoy the Super Bowl? The Chiefs are champs. Much higher scoring than I think a lot of us figured. The holding call, I'd like to get your opinion on that. Rihanna, did you like Rihanna at half? I'll tell you what, I enjoyed the game a lot. I thought it was our two best teams going in. Obviously, it was competitive. A lot of interesting matchups within the game. I, I got I think I think we were kind of right on in, in the analysis leading up to it. How could you not like the matchup of the quarterbacks? That didn't let us down any. I love the Rihanna show, I'll be honest with you. I you thought it did. was outstanding. You and I are too old to enjoy Rihanna, I thought. No? Nope. I thought it was good. I thought her, hey, she's 
with child, right? Yes. I mean, come on, are you kidding me? It was awesome. <laughs> okay. And so I tons of respect for her, for her, for crew. Thought that part was great. I do think the game itself uh, is sometimes second to all the entertainment, right? And it hasn't lived up to it. I thought it did live up to it. You mentioned the the holding call at the uh, end of the game. I honestly had no problem with it, Mitch. I thought it was a, a legitimate call. Unfortunate timing. I get it. I know why some fans could be perturbed at it, but I don't think you can pick and choose when you call certain penalties. And to be honest with you, I thought that particular defensive back got away with one earlier in the game. So it was kind of payback is hell, right? No, I thought it was fine. Love the end. Uh, I thought the peculiar thing about the whole event was that the, the following few days, we saw two coordinators from the losing team, both in their mid thirties, get NFL jobs. We saw two coordinators from the winning team. One had to leave to go prove he's worthy of his job. The other one is 50-something or 60 years old, and he can't even get a job. So I think we know where that one's going, and uh, we'll see how it works out. But interesting coaches, interesting matchups. I'm like you, though. I'm sad that we've got to wait another six months to, to have an NFL game. So I'll be looking forward to it and counting the clock with everybody else. We'll come back to Eric Bieniemy because he's on my list to talk to you about on this uh, yep. this episode with Mules. But before I get there, there's been some growing momentum uh, Dean Blandino has spoken a lot about it publicly in the last few days about outlawing that short yardage play that the Eagles run, that it's not what the NFL is about. Your old friend Sean Payton says, hey, we'll just use it every single time if they don't outlaw it. They should outlaw it in the NFL. It's not what the NFL is all about. How do you feel about that play where they're like, you know, 17 of 18 or 17 of 19 or even more than that when they use it. I don't like it at all. I hope they do outlaw. For one thing, I don't think it's really safe. If we talk about player safety, I think there's some rugby scrums uh, that are, are not safe as well. And that's really what it is. It's a rugby scrum. I don't think it takes a lot of talent to make it work. I do think you've got to use leverage. And obviously, if you have a quarterback who squats 500 pounds, that's a plus. But I don't like the pushing aspect of it. I think it kind of cheapens the game, to be honest with you. We've outlawed pulling. Now we're okay with pushing. I mean, come on, seriously. I just think there's better ways to gain a yard, more aesthetically pleasing and safer, not to mention more skillful. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, their second Super Bowl title together. They take another step towards NFL immortality. Where do these two guys belong in the discussion? One amongst quarterbacks and one amongst head coaches. Well, I think Andy Reid has already reached Hall of Fame level. I think he's done it on multiple platforms with multiple teams, and he's in rarefied air. I don't think if he coached another five years, it would matter. I think his legacy has been cemented. I don't think you'd get any pushback from any Hall of Fame voter on that. I think that one's unanimous. I think Pat Mahomes, the only thing left for him is how high up the ladder he goes. I think he's already one of the all-time greats. Just what he's done. I think if you ask most evaluators around the league, Mitch, and we talked about it, I think, on the show before, his skill set is separate from everybody else. Even when you put Josh Allen in there, even when you put Tom Brady in there, you can even put Aaron Rodgers in there. Nobody throws a ball like Pat Mahomes does. And nobody has that type of skill set that is gives you a wow play. I swear about every four or five snaps that I see, I just find myself going, wow, I can't believe he did that. Yeah. So he's fun to watch, even for those of us who have watched for a living for a long time. So I think he's probably a Hall of Fame guy already. I mean, he's won two Super Bowls in four or five years, whatever he's been in the league. I don't see any reason that this guy doesn't win five or six. 
Uh, whether Andy Reid is there or not, I don't know that that's going to cement Pat Mahomes' legacy. So two all-timers. I think the window of the Chiefs Super Bowl is always going to be open as long as Pat Mahomes is the quarterback. You mentioned the three of four coordinators that left for other jobs. Eric Bieniemy is now the offensive coordinator in Washington for the Commanders. It's strange to me that he has never gotten a chance to be yeah. a head coach. Does he not interview well? What's the problem? What's the hang-up with teams hiring Eric Bieniemy to be a head coach? Well, he, I would say this. We say he hasn't got the chance, but he's had many, many, many opportunities because he's interviewed for a dozen or so of these jobs right, over right. the last few years. So, so there's the clearly problem? something yeah, something that hasn't connected the dots for him when he gets in that room with owners and or GMs. I do not know Eric Bieniemy. I do know this. He's a really good coach. He communicates very good with the players. The players like him. He's a straightforward, straight shooter. So they get... They may not always get what they want out of him, but they're getting the truth and his feelings. I think if they're worse, and this is just rumor that I've heard from my people around the league, a little rough around the edges, maybe not the guy who you want to run your corporate office, but at the same time, we're coaching football, right? And we are leading men. Right. So I don't know that that's the reason he won't be successful. I do know this too. Another time, these coaches have to grow into their roles as well. When you become the leader, you have to sharpen up the rough edges. And if you never get a chance or really never forced to, you don't really know what to expect. I'm I'm glad he's moved on from Kansas City. Just from the standpoint, I'm tired of hearing, is it Andy? Is it, is it the enemy? Right. I mean, the poor guy needs to move on and do it on his own and cut the cord. I get it. Unfortunately for me, I just don't love the fit with the commanders oh, because I think they're a team that's you know, on a one-year deal to save Ron Rivera's job, to be honest with you. They've spun out on quarterback decisions the last three or four years. They haven't got that right. Obviously, they fired their coordinator this year. They're going to get a new owner anytime now, probably in the next couple months. So it's a little bit of upheaval that Eric is going into. Maybe he can make the best of it somehow, some way. But until they find a quarterback, Vince Lombardi could be their offensive coordinator, and I don't think it's going to matter. <laughs> the next big event for the NFL is obviously the draft. In April, the Seahawks have some tough decisions to make about Geno and the draft. There's talk of a deal in the neighborhood of 30, maybe $35 million a year. Uh, there's also the question, do we take one of these quarterbacks at number five, uh, the quarterback of the future? If we don't, where ultimately do we find Geno's successor? Does Pete Carroll even care about Geno? If they gets if Pete Carroll at his age gets Geno back to let's say a three year contract, how much does Pete really care about who's going to be playing in year four or who's going to be playing down the line? Which young quarterback we get? Where we get him? Randy, any thoughts about all of that? Yeah, in, in a word, yes to all of it. And I thought it was interesting that John Schneider came out this week and said, "Hey, our progress." has been good with Gino. Of course it is. There's no one else involved at this point. Nobody else could sign him and get in the middle of it. So they ought to be able to make a deal with him. Whether it becomes a 30 million a year deal, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a olive branch to Gino, in my opinion. Could they get him for less? Maybe. Do they want to play hardball to get it? 
probably not. And, and it really doesn't warrant it. It's time to reward him for this season. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody else would ever pay him that kind of money. He's more valuable to the Seahawks. This guy's worked in the dark for 10 years. I don't think a, a GM around the league is going to say, Hey, let's pay Geno Smith $30 million, no matter how good a year he was, because they're always going to have that negative issue of, Hey, why would they pay this guy? He's done nothing for 10 years. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense, but there, there will always be that if you're a GM on the outside, looking to add Geno Smith to your team. So that's why I've said all along, he's more valuable to Seattle than he is anybody. So I do agree. They probably can work out a two or three year deal with him, but to answer your last part of your question, yes, they have to address the future. I'm not sure that it's in this draft though. And when people say, and again, I'm not saying it's not, but I'm not prepared to say, Hey, these one or two or three quarterbacks are the future for the next 10 years. I haven't gotten that far yet in my mind. Maybe I will. We talk again in a month. I maybe have had time to sort these things out. I'm sure John Snyder is a little further along with regard to that, but I know this fans want answers now and there are no answers yet. The Seahawks haven't even gotten their coaches involved in really free agency yet. And then they'll get involved with draft evaluations. The personnel staff is putting the final touches on both. So there's a collaboration here that has to happen. I find it interesting that the evaluators from the outside have all deemed one or two of these quarterbacks to be the next Pat Mahomes. They obviously don't know. I'll be honest with you. I've tried to be nice, but they don't know. They have no idea. They don't even know what the criteria is that the Seahawks might use to select their quarterback. But I do think in general, they have to address it at some point. They probably would have to assume that they're not going to be in the top five again. So if there is one that they deem worthy, and again, I'm not saying there is, if there is one, they'd probably have to pick it, even if it meant that they bypassed other bigger needs just to, to nail that down. So there's, there's a lot of discussion going on in the Seahawks headquarters. I'm sure about all of this. Pete Carroll might not care as much as John will care, but I think that baton at some point is going to be passed into John's lap. Anyway, mm -hmm. he's going to be the deciding factor. I think his contract goes a little longer than Pete's anyway. And the organization as a whole will have to, I think align themselves behind John's vision. And it may shift from Pete's to John's here soon, if it hasn't already, just based on chronology of yes. age, yes. contract length, yes. and where we are as a franchise. Let me ask you a silly question. If the Ravens called the Seahawks and said, we'll trade you Lamar Jackson. We're going to want a boatload of picks. We're going to want a boatload of compensation. But here's your quarterback of the future. Lamar Jackson, how intently should the Seahawks listen to that? Are you asking my opinion or what the Seahawks, what I think they'll do? I'm asking your opinion. How intently should the Seahawks listen? I don't think they should give up a bunch of stuff for him. I think the compensation package would probably eliminate the Seahawks for what they are as a team right now. I think if people really knew the conversations that went on around the NFL, I think they would be surprised at maybe the status that Lamar carries within each team's headquarters. The problem is you, you with Lamar and, and I, I I'm, he, he's a really great player, but he runs a style and has a skill set that's set aside from most NFL traditional offenses. So you have to make a commitment of style uh, of substance of how you're going to run your offense. And that's as big of a hurdle as Lamar and new contract. Would I pay Lamar $50 million a year fully guaranteed? No, I would never do that either. So I guess for a roundabout way, I'm answering that 
I probably wouldn't be that interested, to be honest with you. Now, there will be a team or two okay. that are yep. that are willing to to step up. But you wouldn't. and frankly, I think the Ravens are going to explore those. Okay, but you wouldn't if you're the. I Seahawks. would not. You would not. No, I would not. Not for the Seahawks. No. Let me ask you an overall view of the Seahawks and how Seahawks fans, the Twelves, should view the Hawks. Do you view them as an exciting young team? that far exceeded expectations by making the playoffs last year, loaded with productive young players with more on the way with all these draft choices? Or do you view them as a team that did it with smoke and mirrors the first nine games and then in the final eight were exposed as a squad that's light years away from the best teams in the NFL? A, B or a combination thereof, Randy? Well, I would probably be in the middle somewhere. I do think most 12s, most most fans think they are a very talented, young and upcoming team. As a team builder from the outside, and hey, I live in Seattle, I root for the Seahawks. Yeah. I don't know that I would position them in that category right now. I do think they've added a couple young players. Obviously, the DB was good last year. The running back's good. But they're a ways away. They are not good enough yet. To me, they they have a void of three or four years there where they didn't add a lot of talented ascending type players. They've got to continue to do that. And there's no reason they can't with the amount of picks they have now, uh, most of which comes from, from Denver. So I think I'm in the middle to answer your question. Okay. I think it's, again, it's going to be a little bit of a changing of the guard, I think, over the next year or two here. Fans see it usually, in, especially in Seattle, as a glass half full. For sure. Sean Payton, Russell Wilson. Is that combo going to work? What kind of a quarterback are we going to see in 2023 on the field for the Broncos? It'll be a little better. I think the co the combo is the only combo they could have had. Uh, I think it's good for Denver. I think they're, they're a lot alike in that I think there's some agendas at work on both ends. I thought it was interesting. I saw a picture of Russell and Sierra out to dinner with Sean Payton at the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago. I just shook my head and said more of the same, right? I mean, Denver people would kill me for saying it. They'd say, oh, yeah, you don't, you know, you don't want your coach to be in bed with your quarterback. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying I'd like the other 52 players to be in bed with the head coach, too, you know, if that makes any sense. I don't think Sean Payton is going to wave a magic wand over Russell and make him better. He may put him in more advantageous positions and kind of define exactly what he wants from him instead of just rolling out the balls and say, do what you want. And I think that's what he got last year. So I think that part will, will be better. I think the rest of their team will be better. Therefore, Russell should be a little better, but I don't think this is going to be a redemption tour for Russell Wilson the next couple of years. I just don't see it. You and I have laughed about Aaron Rodgers just about every week on Mitch Unfiltered for the patrons. I'll give you one last chance to do it. The Packers say, at least there were reports this week, they're fed up with Aaron Rodgers. They're done. <laughs> they're, they're washing their hands clean. And then I heard something that I don't think I've ever heard before in this report, which is they don't think he got himself in good shape for the season last year. They don't think that he was ready and prepared to play football at the highest level last year, which annoyed them all season long. And now he's off, I guess, to solitary confinement, whatever he does in the wilderness somewhere. How many teams do you think are going to be lined up to ignore all of what I just said and say, ah, he's Aaron Rodgers. Let's bring him here. He'll win us a title. I think there'll be one or two teams, to be honest with you. Maybe three at the most. I don't think there's going to be a long line. I do think he will be traded. 
Incidentally, where do we sign up for that four days of dark retreat, whatever that is? I mean, we could all use a four-day darkness retreat, right? I feel like that way about my golf game. I'm going to take about a four-month retreat in darkness every time I shoot 92, you know? So it is it is what it is. I do think there's some truth to the where the Packers are. I think they're fed up with a lot of things with regard to Aaron, and I would be too, frankly. I would not want a State of the Union. We talked about it every Tuesday. I guess we should know that he's not going to take a darkness retreat on a Tuesday because he's got he's got appointments. He's got things to do. <laughs> so, you know, I just think they I, – I, I know this. They would not have drafted Jordan Love, and not only that, traded up to get Jordan Love had they thought that – Rogers is going to be the answer for another six or eight years. They were disappointed in where Aaron was three years ago. And that was part of the reason they traded up to get Jordan Love. So there's some, some communication issues there. And I think they would be happy to move on. The problem is you got a hundred and some million dollars, 60 more doing a roster bonus next month. Um, you don't know how long the guy's going to want to play. So it's going to be hard to make a deal. It's going to have to be one of those conditional type deals where there may be multiple draft picks tied to how long he plays and how good he is. As you projected, Derek Carr does not agree to a trade. You said that here on Unfiltered. He wouldn't do that. Why would he do that? Why would he make his next team yeah. less desirable? So he gets cut and now he can choose his team. I've heard the Saints. I've heard the Jets. I've heard the Panthers. How much do you like Carr and what he brings to his next team, or don't you like him, Randy? I think it's all determined on what are your options. I think I like him if if there's no better options. And everybody will put a different level of, you know, value on him. I think the three teams in the NFC South probably all would say yes to him. That's Atlanta, that's New Orleans, and that's Carolina. I don't think he's going to the Jets. I don't think he wants any part of that circus. The Jets have got a persona around the league of a lot of bluster, a lot of talk, but never really coming through, you know? And so I, I just can't see him entering that chaos per se. If I had to pick right now, I'd say he's going to end up with the Saints. I think they've done their due diligence. They've already figured out what he's worth. They weren't willing to give a draft pick or two because they know they didn't have to. So no one was going to do that. And they, to my opinion, just played the Raiders a little bit to get a jump on the competition. So I think Aaron will, at the end of the day, end up with a couple teams that want him and he'll make the best deal for himself. The one sleeper team in regard to Rodgers and Carr is Tennessee and what they do with Tannehill. That's the sleeper place for me that one of these quarterbacks, if I'm going to move on from Tannehill, it's probably only for those two guys, if I'm Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. And so I would I would just keep one eye on, on Nashville. That's it. Every week during the football season, we had the honor and the privilege of talking to the future XFL champion, general manager, world champ. How many people <laughs> will be at the parade when we're hoisting when we're hoisting the trophy down down First Avenue in Seattle? What are we doing there? It'll probably be a trophy presentation in in my little lake town that I live in in Idaho, and there's only 200 of us, so that's more my style. <laughs> All right, well. You and I will visit again and talk XFL football. Let me say to you what I've said to you on the air and off the air over the last many years. I'm super appreciative of both our friendship and your involvement with me, both back on the radio show and now on the podcast. I look forward to nothing more than our visits with Randy Mueller. Mules, the former GM in the National Football League. And I hope and pray 
that a year from now you'll be back and you won't crucify me during the negotiations <laughs> uh, to get you back on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you so hey. very much, Randy. My pleasure, Mitch. Always uh, good to be back with you, and I consider you a friend, so I'll, I'll help you any way I can. You know that. Hey, look who's back with us. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call, in their new offices. How's everything going over there, Katie? We're all doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me today. And I understand that we're going taxes on our pop quiz. That's right. So we are actually talking specifically today about the new proposed Washington state capital gains tax. Ah. In 2021, the state enacted a new tax on long-term capital gains that were effective starting 2022. Question number one for you is what percentage is that taxed? So if you have a capital gain, what percentage is it gonna be taxed at from the state? Is it 3%? 5% or 7%? It's either 5 or 7. I'll go 5%, Katie. It's actually 7%. Uh. You're taxed at the federal level, either at 0%, 15%, or 20%, depending right. on your, your tax rate. But then additionally, Washington State will take another 7%. I don't like that. I don't like that news. What's question number two? The good news is that not all capital gains are subject to the 7% tax. Specifically, real estate is excluded from this. So whether it's a personal residence or an investment property, you don't have to worry about the 7% at this point from that. Additionally, it's only if you have a specific dollar amount of capital gains. So if you make below this dollar amount in capital gains for a given year, you don't have to pay the 7% tax, but if it's above this amount, you are subject to that tax. What is that amount? Is it $100,000, $250,000 or $500,000? And this is additional to the federal tax that you'll be charged on capital gains. It's either 250 or 500. I'll go the big one, 500. Actually, $250,000. So let's say you sold stock and you made $300,000 in 2022. $50,000 above the two fifty, dollars that would be subject to the 7% tax. Understood. Which makes me 0 for 2. I have one last shot. Give me a true or false question, would you, Katie, please? (laughs) All right, I got you with number three here. So right now, the state Supreme Court started hearing arguments just at the end of January of 2023 to determine if this tax is constitutional. So true or false, if you had capital gains in excess of $250,000 in 2022, you will not have to pay the tax until they determine if it's constitutional. Is that true or false? Well, that makes sense. That makes sense that you shouldn't have to pay it until we find out the ruling from the court. So I'm gonna say true, please tell me it's true. Unfortunately for you and for anyone that has gains above that $250,000, it's false. The courts uh, came out in the last few months and said, if you did have these gains, you will be subject to pay by April. There's a special website that you have to go to log this information. It seems like quite the cumbersome process here, and we're still figuring out what that all means for everyone in the state. So if you have questions about it or are curious if this applies to you, please reach out to us at evergreengk.com to schedule a consultation and learn more. And of course, if it's ultimately ruled unconstitutional, Katie, you'll get that money back. That's right. Evergreengk.com. I don't want to mention that I was 0 for 3 
Uh, I thought I was on a roll these last few quizzes. Don't forget Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Episode 227, Other Stuff segment. Hot Shot is out. Slick Hawk is in. Now, you're familiar. You've heard this this Other Stuff segment that Hot Shot and I do each and every week. I'm familiar. I'm prepared. I got a lot of things to okay. talk about. And the first, I, I want to bring up one thing, and that is yes. um, something that's gotten completely out of control. Mitch, I, I worked with you for many, many years. Did you not yes. used to do an endorsement for like Sleep Country USA, yeah. like Sleep Train, like yeah. all that? You, yeah. you used to do that like yes, daily. Yes. Okay. So do you remember when it was like $200 each set or $200 a piece when you get the full set? Things like <laughs> Do you know how outrageous these bed prices are? They were never $200. To- the ones that I was uh, touting. <laughs> They, yeah. they, they were never $200. Well, I don't think they were $3,000 either. <laughs> I think they were. Were they? I don't well, know. Well, then things <laughs> haven't changed as much as I thought. Why? Did you just buy a mattress? We just bought a bed yesterday, got delivered today. Oh. Three grand. Well, you didn't have to pay three grand. You bought well, a, you bought a Rolls I, Royce. You needed the Rolls Royce of mattresses. I didn't I didn't need the Rolls Royce. Well, you I was I was told I needed the Rolls Royce. Oh. I got the full court press, not oh. just and not just from the salesperson. So your mattress, <laughs> like one side can do one thing and the other side can do the other. It's got the adjustable, oh. so I, the the head comes up and then the feet come up, yeah. and then it's like yeah. a certain angle to stop the snoring. God. Remember when you just kind of, I mean, I was in the army. We had cots if we were lucky. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's too bad that you didn't ask me way back when for help. I could have gotten you a deal on that mattress. Oh, back in been the great. Day. A $3,000 mattress. I could have gotten you for $29.50. Not a, not a problem. Hey, I will take whatever I can get. Well, I like the other stuff segment of these episodes because it gives us a chance just to talk about random shit. You yeah. probably should call it the other shit segment as opposed to the other side just random stuff going back and forth and doing just random stuff while you're talking about mattresses i'll throw my yes. my, my pet right. peeve in <laughs> are you are you an airpod guy no um recently i got um because my headphones had broke and yeah. so amy got me these wireless headphones they're not like the brand name or, and they work they're great i like them but they go inside the ear which is for guys like you and me who've had the outside the ear headphones forever, it's a little, it takes a while to get used to. Are they big or are they small? Do they come into a, uh, they're pretty they, sm- I have them right here. They're uh, pretty small. They're these little guys. Okay. So this is what yeah. I'm saying. So the same applies for those things. You just got them. Yeah. Like okay. a few months ago. So you haven't had a chance to lose them yet or misplace them yet. No, okay. I've actually been really good about it, okay. which surprises me. Cause if it was, if it was uh, sunglasses, the, no chance. Am I the only one? Who constantly misplaces AirPods? <laughs> God Almighty! I wish I never had got <laughs> for the t- for the amount of times that I use. How many different times? And it's a, it's a terrible feeling because you know you know kind of how expensive they were. Yeah, and you know how privileged you are to have them, and you don't want to go out buy new ones for two hundred twenty five dollars. Sure. But my God, they're that little white. You've seen them, the little white. Mm-hmm. Ca- oh, oh yeah, every. Freaking time I go to find them. I don't know where I, they're in one pocket. They're in a, a coat pocket. They're in my you gotta put them on like a keychain. I always find them. 
It's not like I don't find them. I always but find the searching. Oh, it's the searching. God, yeah, I always lose these freaking things because you want them when you want them. You don't want them a half hour later when know. you find maybe them. it's because they're small or what have you. But my yeah. goodness, I can't be the only one that constantly misplaces AirPods. I'm sure it's everybody. Oh. Um, I've been lucky. I have two places and I've been able to keep it in just the two places. But I've had to try like make a physical effort to do that. Other so, stuff segment episode two. 27 stump yeah. the band question number three yeah i'll lead off with stump the band question number three Slickhawk baseball trivia baseball trivia not as good what's the big what's the biggest payout in major league baseball salary arbitration history the biggest payout in Major League Baseball salary arbitration history in a case that actually went in front in front of an arbitrator. I got to say somewhere in the 14 No, I'm asking who? Range. I'm asking oh, who? Who? Yeah. Ooh. Arbitration. Yes. Biggest the biggest verdict in arbitration history in Major League Baseball. I'm going to say it's probably somebody stuck with there. I'm going to say Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant. I'm going to say Chris Bryant. Is that Bryant. your final answer? Well, the look on your face tells me it shouldn't be, but for the sake of time, well, it will be. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Hotshot knows, there are reasons I ask these questions. I know. I know. So it's either Typically, got a local tie, I'm sure, or, or uh, it's just something I should just know. Or, or that it just happened. Yeah. It either has a local tie or it's something that's newsworthy that yes. just happened. So it wouldn't be Chris Bryant because he neither has a local tie or it wouldn't have been something that just happened. Sure he has a local Chris tie. He should have been here two off seasons ago. Um in this case <laughs> in this case it would be both A and B. Really? A local tie and it just happened. Ladies and gentlemen, the answer to the question is Teoscar Hernandez. Oh, you're kidding. Uh this past Friday, the Friday that just passed. Hernandez asked for a raise from $10.65 million to $16 million. The Seattle Mariners offered and argued for a raise to $14 million. The case was heard on Friday, and the winner was the Seattle Mariners. Really? But, but he's going to have to learn to live on $14 million. I hope he can live on $14 million. I the hope new, he'll, he'll be okay with the that. The new right fielder for your Seattle Mariners, even though he lost the arbitration. Yes. And by the way, you should know that teams win a, a, a much bigger percentage of these cases than the actual player. Teams have mm-hmm. the, uh, the odds are stacked in favor of the team. Not only, though, did he lose, in so doing, the $14 million that he still takes home breaks the all-time record for the biggest arbitration salary in the history of Major League Baseball. It beats the previous high of $13.5 million owned by Garrett Cole 2019 in his win over Houston and okay. pitcher Max Freed in his loss to the Atlanta Braves in arbitration a year ago. Look at that. Another dubious honor for the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> the floor is yours. What do you got? Mitchie, over there? Mitchie, yes. Mitchie. Down here in Tacoma, a really cool story happened over the weekend ah. at the Matt 
Classic. Do you know of the Matt Classic? No, I don't know what the Matt Classic is. The Matt Classic is the, it's not another one of my nicknames. It is the <laughs> state tournament in wrestling for high schoolers. Oh, well, that makes sense. The Matt Classic. The Matt Classic. Yeah. And there are three brothers, the Zuniga brothers from Toppenish High School, which is in Yakima County. Really? Jeremiah, who is a senior and he is the champion of the 152-pound division. Okay. Keanu is the sophomore. He is the champion of the 145-pound division. And Justice Zaniga, a freshman, the champion of the 132-pound division. Three brothers, oh all state champions. Oh and they're joined by their cousin, Mia Zaniga, oh. also from Toppenish. Sophomore in the 100-pound girls' division. All four Zuniga's champions as we stand here today. And Jeremiah, by the way, the senior, is his third national championship. He was the only reason he was robbed of his fourth, of course, because of COVID. Oh. Otherwise, he would have had a chance to be a four-time, which is a tremendous honor in wrestling, a four-time state champion. So now, Slickhawk, <laughs> tell everybody the moral to the story. I mean, if you want to go be a wrestler, go to Toppenish, I guess. No, that's not the moral of the story. What's the moral of the story? If you intend to rob a house in Toppenish, <laughs> let us tell you the one to avoid. Do not go rob the Zuniga house. The Zuni <laughs> you've got no chance if you decide to rob the Zuniga house yes. in Toppenish, right? That's the right. That's the moral of the story. I see your wrestling story, and I raise you a women's basketball story. Okay. I don't know where you stand on women's basketball in the Seattle Storm. I have never really been able to fully get into women's basketball. Mm -hmm. I love myself some women's golf. I love myself some women's tennis. Love women's tennis. I just, for whatever reason, can't, have never really been able to get into women's basketball. I watch a game here and there, but never a full game. I pull for the Seattle Storm, but I never yeah. truly have been sucked in to I have found my new favorite all-time women's basketball player. Really? Yes. Is I, it Brianna Stewart? It is not Brianna. She would have already been my favorite. Is it Courtney Vandersloot? It is not Courtney Vandersloot. Okay, who is it? It is not Kelsey Plum, although she's close. I like the way Kelsey Plum played. Love Kelsey Plum. Love you the know way I she played Kelsey at Washington. Plum. I have found now, unquestionably, when she's on... The TV, either highlights or a game, I literally stop what I'm watching to pay close attention. And I can I can say honestly, Sue Bird, what was um what was the Sabrina other Unescu? No, the one in, in that was for Seattle. Lauren Jackson. I can mm -hmm. honestly say Lisa Leslie, whoever you have, uh Diana yeah. Tarasi, none of them ever really made me stop and pay attention. Have you seen Caitlin Clark? Do you know who Caitlin Clark is? You know, it's funny. I saw, I was waiting for an Oregon game to come on. Yeah. And there was a women's basketball game. It's, it's like Iowa, right? Yes, it's Iowa. Iowa. There's a women's basketball yes. game, and it's the last, like, five minutes, and they're up by 20. Yes. I'm like, can't we just switch over to the game already? And then I'm watching the game, and at the end of the, she scored, like, 44 points, something like that. It's not, I couldn't believe it. There have been a lot of, I, I, I think there have been a lot of women in college and pro who scored a lot of points. It's yeah. not just that she scores a lot of points. It's how she plays the game. First of all, she's triple-double just about every single night. She doesn't mm -hmm. just score. She is a wizard with the ball, handles the ball, great passer, 
pretty good rebounder, not a great defender, but to watch her kind of play the game, it's it's mesmerizing watching this this woman play. It's incredible watching her play. Really is. I, I don't know what she's gonna do in the WNBA. All I know is when I was on, and now they show her highlights every Sunday night, every sure, Thursday sure. on ESPN Sports Center. There's always Caitlin Clark highlights. She is incredible to watch. She is my new favorite. Basketball. Yeah, and there, and there's a new kind of uh, a new renewed effort I think over at ESPN to really try and highlight the women's game, especially Maybe. college and everything. I think there is, but she and shoots. So I, and I'm, I, I see a little bit more than I used to. She's like Steph Curry. She shoots. Yeah. She doesn't. She doesn't shoot him at the line. <laughs> she shoots him from the logo. She shoots him from a couple of steps inside half court. I mean, she is firing. And as I said, she's an incredible. She's a wizard with the ball. Sure. She knows exactly where she's going. She always makes the right pass. My new favorite basketball player to watch, Caitlin Clark. That's exciting. Okay. It's exciting. My new favorite football player to watch because he helped my fantasy team is Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, who is going to be the host, the next host of Saturday Night Live on March 4th. Do we like that? I think so. I think I think everybody's enamored by the Kelsey's. Like there's McAfee, right? And I think just the tier right oh, below, because they've got the podcast and they're, they're, they, the whole, you Mac- no, you don't like McAfee. You know, I don't like Matt. It's too, why much? don't you like Matt? Because McAfee. it's too much too soon. It's just too quick. I mean, somehow he became, you know, I don't like the guys who just overnight become like the Pied Piper. Well, Everybody he had a career. I mean, he had an NFL career first. He was a punter. And now he's doing, he's, he's, he's living I'm the not, dream. He I'm gets to do Matthews. whatever he no, wants. No, that's the problem. He's on college game no, day. He's got no. the podcast. He's doing wrestling. He's no. doing it all. All right, let me zip through a few and see if you have a reaction. Yeah. Do you have a reaction to the Ohio State Buckeyes canceling the home-and-home home series with the Washington Huskies in 24 and 25? Do you care? I mean, I, I know a lot of people care. I, I didn't care. Um, I, My reaction is... I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of to be expected, right? I mean, you've got USC, UCLA coming into the conference. And so if you want you want to take a trip west, that's going to be your trip. And, you know, both those teams, especially UFC, have the have the clout that you're looking for, right? So, uh, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense to Athletic me. Athletic Director Gene Smith says, don't overanalyze this. It's just a reaction to a tougher conference schedule that we have starting in 24 with the yeah. addition of USC and UCLA. He went on to say, we will pay the $500,000 penalty of the University of Washington. He went on to say, I have the utmost respect for the University of Washington and for Director of Athletics, Jennifer Cohen. And this was a very difficult call to make. Uh, Indianapolis Colts doofus owner Jim Ursay <laughs> may have shown the Colts cards with the fourth overall pick of the NFL draft, he says everybody knows that we're, we're going to have to find a young quarterback to develop. Mm-hmm. And he likes the Alabama guy. He says the Alabama guy doesn't look half bad, I'll tell you. And this has a direct impact on who? The team that's picking number five in the NFL of draft. Of course it does. What do you think of about that? It does. Would you like to see the Colts take a I would like to see everybody in front of the Seahawks. Everybody. Either take a quarterback or trade their pick to somebody who's going to take a quarterback. I would mm-hmm. like, if possible, the top four picks to be quarterback so that the Seahawks can get the number one non-quarterback 
whoever they deem is the number one non-quarterback in the NFL draft. So I'm That's happy. That's a pathway to the best defensive player in the draft. Don't you so think? I, I can't get mad at that. I don't know that. I don't know. You're going to give Chicago. What are they going to do? That's that's kind of the big question mark, right? Because aren't they ahead and they've got Justin Fields? Yes. So they could trade out, I guess, yeah. um, which we you'd like to see. So four quarterback. I don't know that the quarterbacks are there. Are there four quarterbacks that would go in the top four? That's the question. The four quarterbacks, if they were to go, would be the guy from Alabama, the guy from Ohio State, the guy Young, from Kentucky, Stroud, and maybe the, maybe Florida. Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson's not. There's no way. Calvin Ridley, wide receiver. Calvin Ridley. Know of him? Oh yeah. He has applied for reinstatement. He missed the 2022 season after he was suspended for gambling on the NFL. He mm-hmm. placed a $1,500 bet or $1,500 in bets while a member of the Falcons during the 21 season. This happened while he was away from the team dealing with mental health issues. He's now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Do you think a football player placing bets of $1,500 on NFL games unrelated to him, but on NFL games is a problem. Yes. yes. It's a huge problem. And the NFL did the exact right thing. Okay. I was surprised it was only a year. The NFL has got to protect itself from this, maybe above all other things. They are right smack dab in bed with gambling right now. And the, even a hint, a whiff of any kind of impropriety takes them down. It ruins the league. It turns it into the WWE. You can't have it. So I, I was, uh, to, I know I'm in the minority, but I was totally in agreement with it. Would you not grant his application for reinstatement? I would grant his application okay. for so reinstatement. So a year is enough. Yeah, I a think, I enough. think that's enough. A year is enough. That was a big deal. That punishment. I just want to know whether he won or lost. <laughs> and, and who's on his fantasy team. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I remember you to be a big fan of WWE. It's true. That's true. I'm a pretty decent sized fan. Would you like to buy WWE or how many W's there are? That two W's, one E. Yes. Vince McMahon has WWE for sale. That's right. What would you rather own? The Washington Commanders or the entire WWE? Which do you think is a more profitable venture? WWE is worth. It's got to be worth way more than that. More than a more than 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 an an NFL team. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, you're talking about a multi-billion dollar conglomerate. Are you not talking about a multi-billion dollar conglomerate in the NFL? Two billion. The the commanders. Yeah. Two eh, two or three. He wants seven billion. They're for sale for seven billion. So now I'm going to ask you again. I'm going to probably get it. No, you can't. (laughs) You can't get it for a dollar less than $7 billion. And if your name is Jeff Bezos, you can't even get it for $7 billion. He won't sell it to Jeff Bezos for $7 billion. So now I'm going to ask you, with the Washington Commanders for sale for $7 billion, do yeah. you think the WWE is a bigger or smaller purchase than the Washington mm. Commanders? Slightly bigger. Vince McMahon wants $9 billion. Correct you are, Slicko. <laughs> he wants $9 billion smackers. Uh, I didn't even know that the WWE was still a thing. It's still a thing. Everybody loves the WWE. I thought it was over. I thought it was past Yes, it's still, a, it's still a thing. Is Andre the Giant still fighting? I don't know. Well, he's he's dead. How about Duff the Road? Uh, also dead. Although his son, <laughs> his son Cody, Who? has a title Who's shot. 
Who's uh, against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania? Whose son's Cody? Dusty Road, the American Dream. Dusty Real? Dusty Road. Dusty Road. Dusty, Dusty Road. Dusty <laughs> He got the same damn oh, lisp and everything. It's great. Oh, God. Chris Beard, you know who he is? No. Was was the college basketball coach of the University of Texas. Okay. Also, oh. also had big success with Texas Tech before leaving mm -hmm. Texas Tech to go to Texas. Was thought of as one of the great college basketball coaches in yes. America. And then. Now no longer at Texas. Right. Then yes. he was arrested for a very serious domestic violence charge. A very serious. That included strangulation. And he was yeah. looking at a. On a long time in jail, then he was fired by Texas. Well, the district attorney's office of Travis County, Texas, has dismissed domestic violence charges against the former Texas basketball coach. They said that the felony offense cannot be proven beyond a reasonable doubt, in part because his girlfriend or fiance wishes not to be helpful in the proceedings. Yeah. I'll have you know that the fiance, Randy True, was quoted at the time. He snapped on me, became super violent, choked me, threw me off the bed, bit me, bruises all over my legs, throwing me around and going nuts. He, she said at the time, now she wishes not to proceed with the, uh, the trial. Right. So been dismissed charges been dismissed so what happens to him then i mean Question. obviously he's not going to be back at texas will he get another job i don't know yes um he will he I, I guess he probably will with with these things i mean so many so many times women don't want to come forward they don't want to they don't want to testify and we never know the reasons behind that right and, and a lot of time it's because of reasons scarier than even the the original um the original act so i know a lot of people might feel some kind of way that the that the charges were dismissed, but I would encourage those people to take a step back from the story and just look at maybe the reasons why the charges were dismissed and why she might not have come forward. I'd like to introduce you to a man named Edwin Castro from Altadena, California. Would you like okay. to hear about Edwin Castro from Altadena, California? I don't even know where Altadena, California is. I have absolutely no idea where Altadena, California, but here's what I do know, that Edwin Castro in November sauntered, uh -huh. I like to use the word saunter, saunt, sauntered into a gas station in Altadena, California, and decided to buy a Powerball ticket <laughs> in November of 2022. That Powerball ticket was the only winning ticket of that particular lottery and worth $2 billion. I remember it well. I remember that I had the ticket for that. It was going to be the winning ticket until it wasn't. <laughs> I believe that Edwin and Mitch are long lost cousins. <laughs> he has decided he has finally come forward after several months of planning. He's taking the lump sum, the upfront lump sum of $1 billion. Mm. His name and how he accepted his winnings are public record under California law. So we get to know that. But okay. no other information about Castro, including his age, his city of residence, or any other identifiers has been revealed. Castro would like to remain largely private yeah. after becoming a billionaire overnight in November at a gas station in Altadena, California. Do you remember the name Chris Maragos? Does that yes, I do. name any yes. Who's Chris yes. Maragos? Uh, number 42 for your Seattle Seahawks. He is Backup safety, special teams maven. And Super Bowl champion. 
Yes, he is. He was on the Super Bowl champion team. He may have yeah. even been on the team next year as a special teams whiz for the Seattle Seahawks. He might have been. He has been awarded 43.5 million smackers. What? In a lawsuit against his doctors over a career-ending knee injury in Philadelphia. No a way. Jury, a jury found that orthopedic surgeon James Bradley and Rothman Orthopedics were negligent in the medical malpractice case, causing harm to the two-time Super Bowl-winning safety and forcing him to end his NFL career prematurely. He has been awarded $43.5 million. Wow. I'd like to introduce you to Sean McConnell. Okay. Now, you don't know Sean McConnell by name, but you know of one of his acts. Really? 27 years old, known as the Phoenix Open Streaker. <laughs> did you see the Phoenix Open streaker on the PGA uh, Tour? Yes, yes, I, I did. <laughs> he has come forward to tell his story. Quote, all I wanted to do was put a smile on people's faces, McConnell he said. Did that. He After did that. all, the tournament is nicknamed the People's Open, so I wanted to make sure that the people had something fun to remember. He was charged by Scottsdale police with trespassing, disorderly conduct, and failure to obey a lawful order from law enforcement. But he has to not pay any of those fines because underwear company Shinesty CEO Chris White, who has been on Mitch Unfiltered. True story. A few months ago, we had the, the University of Colorado offensive lineman who became an underwear model. Fantastic. That's right. With the mullet for Shinesty. That's right. I, and, heard, I heard that. Okay. He and CEO Chris White were on Mitch Unfiltered. Well, Stop. CEO. It's true. CEO Chris White said that Sean McConnell was wearing Shinesty underwear <laughs> when he raced onto the 16th green at the Phoenix Open. And therefore, quote, this is Chris White speaking. We have to accept partial responsibility for this incident <laughs> and at least cover the bail. We've never seen a streaker so incredibly aerodynamic, elusive, <laughs> and sexually compelling during a jaunt around the links. Uh, Chris, those are some adjectives. Chris. <laughs> and before we get to the RIPs, one last thing here on episode 227. I have to do a belated birthday wish to patron Joe Brandenburg. Now, you might okay. be saying... Since when do you do birthday wishes to patrons? Well, in this case, I have to. He turned the big 4-0 on February 10th, so belated happy birthday. Mm -hmm. But I feel kind of sorry for him, so we wanted to lift his spirits with the shout-out. You see, I don't really know Joe Brandenburg, but his wife is a star who has helped us on Mitch Unfiltered with some digital marketing. And mm -hmm. his father-in-law, Tom Henderson, is a star who helps us with Fireside Home Solutions, a client of Mitch Unfiltered. And so Joe is always just kind of referred to as either Carrie's husband or <laughs> Tom's son-in-law. <laughs> and I figured for a guy who's got to walk around life <laughs> known as Carrie's, Carrie's husband and Tom's son-in-law, we should at least say happy birthday on his 40th birthday, okay? Happy birthday. Happy like birthday to Joey. Say happy birthday, Joey Slick. Happy birthday, Joey. And now we get to the RIPs, of which I have one, two, three, four. How many do you have? I have three, okay. but I think two of them are going to be... I know one you're going to have, but okay. probably two. Okay. Uh, so I'll start with the one you probably... You might not have, and that's Richard Belzer. Got it. You had it? 78 years old. Yes. Comedian. Big, 
Yeah. <clears throat> SVU, Law and Order SVU, Homicide Life on the Street, which is where I was first introduced to Richard Belzer. That would kind of was a precursor to, to SVU and all that. And But uh, yeah, Richard Belzer. 78 years old, passed away in France. Let me tell you something that you don't know about Richard Belzer that is right up your alley and where I became really? where I became familiar, perhaps, with Richard Belzer for the first time. He was okay. a stand-up comedian, okay. and, and he was on a talk show. And there was another guy on that talk show, another guest on that talk show, by the name of Hulk Hogan. Stop it. True story. <laughs> you go look this up. Hulk Hogan, he was teasing Hulk Hogan about the WW, whatever it was called in those days. And oh, yeah. this, is, this is like 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan took offense and put him in a sleeper hold. Really? And he went unconscious and fell down. He nearly hit his head and ended up suing Vince McMahon, the World Wrestling Federation, and Hulk Hogan for $5 million as a result of the incident. He said in court papers that he nearly died as a result of the of the sleep hole, of the whatever You're he did. You're shitting Shinlock. me. I am not shitting you. And uh, they settled out of court for 400000 He said. <laughs> he said after the fact, ah, I just paid for my down payment of my house in France. Right. So he was happy about that. But that's a true story. Hulk Hogan once put him in the either. What is a chin lock or a sleeper? Same thing. Chin yeah, lock, sleeper sleep hold. Yeah. 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 It's basically. Yeah. Richard Belzer was 70. We're naked ago. choke. Tim McCarver. Yep. I, I knew he'd be, I knew he would be on your list. Tim McCarver. Obviously, longtime uh, baseball voice and, and player. 81 and, uh, years old. Uh, catcher turned broadcaster. Played 21 years caught for teams like the Cardinals and the Phillies. I think he's in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. He won a couple of World Series. Hall of Fame broadcaster was a great broadcaster for a mm -hmm. lot of years, both mm -hmm. uh, for the Phillies, Cardinals, and then Fox with Joe Buck. I believe he was yep. Joe Buck's partner. Yes, yes passed away over the last week at the age of 81. Raquel Welch. Oh, yes. The incomparable <laughs> Raquel Welch passed away at age, age 82. Movie star sex symbol golden globe winner badass she was a badass yeah you did, you did not mess around in hollywood with raquel welch she will kick your ass 30 movies countless tv shows unfortunately passing away at the age of 82 and you missed one that may be before your day a sports okay one. conrad dobler mm -mm. name doesn't mean anything to you conrad dobler yes uh -uh. Guess there's the difference between your age and my age. He died at the age of 72. He was an offensive lineman for the St. Louis Cardinals in the 70s with guys like Suffering Thuckatash Dan Deardorff. <laughs> he was known in the NFL during his playing days as the dirtiest player in the NFL. Really? He was a three-time Pro Bowl guard, and what he told the Sports Illustrated when he was called the dirtiest player in the NFL, he said, Frankly, I will do anything I can, anything I can get away with to protect my quarterback. Conrad Dobler, gone at the age of 72. Slick Hawk, thank you for filling in for Hot Shot Scott. You don't have headlines? You don't want to do jokes at the end of the... Uh, I the thought show? about it. It's just... It, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I'll leave that to the funny people. We'll leave it right here. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 227 with my friend Slick Hawk is in the books.